This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Well, I just published a piece at johnkanzano.com that dives into Oregon State and Washington State's plans for 2024 right they're busy playing a college football season which they're both ranked but there's a little anxiety i mean isn't there anxiety kind of looped in and around what uh, is happening with the beavers and the cougars all season long hell i mean college game day espn's college game day is going to be in seattle on saturday they'll be all set up for the broadcast Pat McAfee will be uh, walking around there, sleeveless, maybe. And, uh, you know, we we expect to see Washington State's flag on college game day. But I'm told there's a grassroots movement afoot to make even more noise. Is it going to be signage? Is it going to be Washington State and Oregon State fans showing up to invade game day? I don't know. I don't know more there. I just know that uh, there are some interested parties going, hey, man, looks like uh, the Beavers fans and the uh, Cougars fans are going to try to uh, crash the party a little bit. I think it would be great. I think it would be such a statement on, like it or not, the biggest television stage that our country has as it pertains to college football and the pregame show. I'm not much of a pre- and a post-game show guy. Like, I grew up listening to the post-game show uh, when I was a kid on radio. I would listen to my San Francisco Giants post-game show. But I'm not one of these uh, pre-game, let me uh, turn on the TV two hours before the game and hear what the talking heads are going to say about it because, uh, frankly, I do that all week long. And the last thing I want is, you know, a bunch of guys doing that. But I, I have to admit, like, I do pay attention to what game day is doing because they do some storytelling. They do a little bit of reporting. There's a little bit of nonsense involved in it, and I think they do a pretty good job, and I think uh, as evidenced by the fact that this becomes a destination for people. But Oregon State and Washington State crashing that party, that could be kind of interesting to me. And I'd be curious to see what happens on Saturday. If you're going to be part of it, tip me off. Let me know what's going on. I'd love to know. Is it just going to be some flag waving, some signage? Or do Washington State fans and Oregon State fans actually have plans to show up wearing their colors and, you know, make a visible statement during the during these, this show. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to amount to. But I can tell you this, Oregon State and Washington State, the administrators at their respective schools are plotting. Oregon State reached out to Portland State recently to ask if it could move its previously scheduled 2025 home football game. 2025. Now, the Vikings are supposed to play in Corvallis, August 30th, 2025. Now, I normally don't pay attention to 
non-conference football games that are happening two years from now. Like, I, I have a general sense of, you know, Oregon's going to play Texas Tech next year. You know, and in Oregon State, uh, I, I think they've got Boise State next season. Can't remember who else they have. Uh, maybe it's Purdue, I think, they play. And, you know, I generally have the same sense that you have probably of who's playing what. I don't study such things like line by line. But I thought it was really interesting that Oregon State is reaching out to Portland State to ask if they could move their previously scheduled home football game for 2025, two seasons from now. They want to move it from August 30th, 2025 to October 11th, 2025. They want to put the game later in the season. It was a curious request. Like, that is a weird thing to play Portland State in October. Now, there's been some conversation about, like, in the SEC, they do this. You will see Alabama play, you know, some Division II, I'm exaggerating, program late in the season because the SEC schedules their bye week that way or they schedule kind of their non-conference games different. They'll front load it. And the Pac-12 traditionally has required members to get permission to move and play a non-conference game later in the year because the Pac-12 wants to reserve those later in the year home those dates for conference games. They want, you know, they want to be able to sell that. But given that it's going to be the Pac-2 conference, it looks like Oregon State and Washington State are plotting a little bit to try to move some of the non-conference games in 2025 later in the season. At least that Portland State game. Now, it was a weird request and Oregon State, I'm told, reversed course yesterday, last night, and told Portland State, never mind, we don't need to move the game. Now, you know, I don't, like, I do this radio show. i got to be honest with you. Like, I'm busy with this radio show. I'm busy writing. I've got three daughters. Uh, we've got three dogs. I've got trash cans that go out to the curb on Tuesday night that come in on Wednesday morning. Like, I have some rhythm to my week, but I don't normally dive into kind of the scheduling stuff and kind of start to look like what are they doing in 2025, 2024, but I've done some of that in the last week or two. I've done some listening, as they say, you know, I've done some listening. I had an NBA general manager tell me that once. I said, you know, what do you, what do you call that when you're calling around trying to get intel on a player? That, you're, that you might draft, and you say, oh, we call that listening. Oh, I'm doing some listening about a player. I'm doing some listening when it comes to the scheduling and and uh, looking at the future football schedules 2024, 2025, and beyond. And what became evident to me in making a bunch of phone calls, talking to multiple athletic directors, calling and reaching out to the athletic directors at schools that Oregon State and Washington State have already scheduled, like I reached out, even Oregon, I reached out to Montana State's athletic director because I thought, well, is Oregon State trying to move the Portland State game in 2025 because it wants to play the Civil War in week one of the season? Like, does it want to play Oregon in week one of the season? So I I said, well, who is Oregon playing on August 30th, 2025? It's Montana State. So I reached out to Montana State, and I said, hey, has Oregon asked you to move the game? And Montana State said no. I said, okay, so that's not it. It's not like they're trying to plot and, you know, get the Civil War football series back on track in, in week one of 2025. But there's definitely something afoot because I continually was told that, yes, there are conversations that are being had 
between Oregon State, Washington State, and several Mountain West Conference teams that they have already scheduled. And the conversations are basically revolving around the idea that the Mountain West Conference could play some kind of partnership with the Pac-2, Oregon State and Washington State. They could set up sort of a loose scheduling partnership, so to speak, where Oregon State and Washington State get to be included and play teams like Boise State, San Diego State, San Jose State, Fresno State, Colorado State, Air Force. There could there could be a core group of teams that they would line up and play. Now, this would not be a merger. This would not be a reverse merger. This would not be relegating yourself to the Mountain West. This would be a one-year stopgap in 2024. And I am told that barring an unforeseen development, it will be a party of two in 2024 for the Cougars and the Beavers. Now, I'm also being told, hey, yeah, 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 hold on, Kanzano. Like, there, a lot can happen. Nothing's nothing's uh, written in ink. You know, as we have learned anything in expansion and realignment, uh, we we know that the only thing that is certain is that it's all uncertain until the ink dries. But I am uh, being told that I'm not wrong in throwing that out there to you, that barring an unforeseen development, uh, it will be a party of two in 2024. And I don't know, the, the discussion about playing some Mountain West Conference opponents, I say fine because I think that Oregon State and Washington State are going to get a little bit of a pass nationally in 2024 because I think people are going to recognize, like, hey, man, that was a less than ideal situation. There's no, uh, there, you know, there's no real harm that people aren't going to look down on Oregon State and Washington State because they're just scrambling, trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do why the rest of college football is kind of moving on without them, with everybody else having a, uh, uh, you know, having a conference affiliation, and uh, the Beavers and the Cougars looking around going, hey, we don't really have a conference affiliation, but we are, in fact, trying to figure out what the heck we're going to do. And so I think 2024 is going to be a little bit of a mulligan year, so to speak. And I do think Oregon State and Washington State right now, I'm told they've had at least four co- phone calls in the last 10 days with Dave Brown, the scheduling guru, the mastermind, who does all the scheduling for all the college football teams. But uh, Party of Two in 2024 feels like it is the likely outcome. we got a great show for you today. We'll talk about this. We'll talk about the Washington-Oregon game. I'm fired up. I don't know if you could tell. I was looking at tickets for the Washington-Oregon game just to see what a ticket would cost. If you want to sit on the lower level... At Husky Stadium on Saturday, you better plan on spending north of $300 for your ticket. And if you're getting good seats, you're talking north of $400 and, and more. You can still get into the stadium uh, at, for like a buck ninety-two, But uh, it, uh, it looks like it's a pretty hot ticket, even by especially by Husky standards in that stadium with uh, plenty of seating. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. But we'll get a visit at 4 o'clock from Softy. KJR in Seattle, and I got to tell you, he's all fired up. He's all kinds of fired up. He, 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 our show is the first show in the state of Oregon that he's going to do this week, and I'm going on his show Friday. Told him I would make that trade. This is kind of like scheduling non-conference games. You know, I'm, I agree. All right, I'll go on your show Friday. You come on my show Wednesday. Softy KJR in Seattle will be joining us uh, coming up at 4 o'clock. Jonathan Smith. Oregon State coach at 520. I want you here for it. Dan Lanning is going to be on tomorrow's show at 420. So there it goes. Dan Lanning, 
4 o'clock hour tomorrow, Jonathan Smith, 5 o'clock hour today. we got great guests, a lot of enthusiasm. Stephen is in the seat today. As always, Judah Newby working behind the scenes. Stephen, give me an idea. Pack 2, let's start there. Pack 2 in 2024. Do, does it do anything for you if Oregon State and Washington State go out and say, look, we're going to try to schedule a payday game with a SEC or a Big Ten opponent. We're going to go out and try to uh, play a Mountain West Conference, four or five of those teams. We'll keep our non-conference games against the Portland States and Purdue and whoever. Um, you know, they're just trying to piecemeal it together. They're they're about survival right now. But does it move the needle for you at all to hear that they appear to be centering in on a plan? Yeah, that's the problem. Is there's there's no blueprint for this operation. Like we've never seen this before, so we don't know what the right move is. But I I would say it moves the needle for me in the fact that I think this is the right decision. Um, you know, earlier I, you know, during the season, I thought you know if they can get to the American, that'd be great. Um, but I, I don't think that's a real doable thing anymore. They can't get to the Big 12, can't get to the Big 10, can't get to the ACC. So you got to stand pat. And I think the fact that they have already talked about this and you talked about this, they're still going to invest in these programs. They're still going to invest into these football programs like a Power 5 team, a Power 4 team, to try to get back into these conferences in a few years. I, I think right now the best option for them is just stay afloat. Stay afloat, stay relevant in the game of college football, stay in the top 25, stay really good. And then there's going to be more realignment coming soon. And at that point, I think it's going to be more of, you know what, the TV markets, they already are. We These conferences have the main ones that they want. Now they can just go out and try to get other football brands that are decent enough to you know move the needle conference-wise. Because we talk about Oregon State and Washington State. They may be the best team in the Big 12 this season. Like it, Without Texas and Oklahoma, they might be the best team in that, in that conference. So I think those teams are going to want them. But as long as they stay relevant and stay afloat. So I, I think this is the best way that they can keep their ranking up. You know, they're going to be affiliated with each other. And then the travel and stuff is not going to be as much in the Mountain West. I think they can win, you know, nine, ten games, stay ranked, stay relevant. And then at the next point, when there is more realignment, they can be knocking on people's doors and say, hey, look, you guys didn't want us before, but we're still here. We're still top 25. We're still viable. Come get us. Yeah, and I think that... We're looking at a week or 10 days for an outcome for Oregon State and Washington State. I am being told by multiple parties it, it, that it's a week or 10 days away that we should have some clarity. We should know what is going on. And I think that's going to be good because you got a transfer portal. you got guys that are um, sitting and waiting, trying to figure out, you know, where they fit. And, you know, you have Oregon Washington playing this huge game in Seattle. And, I, and it, you know, conversely... You've got Oregon State, Washington State, the you know the the fellows in state schools that are just trying to focus on their survival. Like it's just such weird bookends for what is going on this week and kind of what is going on all season long. Now, Softy's coming up at four o'clock, Stephen, and I want to give people a taste of Softy, the biggest Washington honk around. You know him. You probably hate him if you're an Oregon fan, but he's going to be joining us at four, and. I'm going to ask him about the highlights and lowlights for him as a Husky guy in the Oregon-Washington series. And I have to think that this little clip that I'm going to play, which was taken from the 2019 game when you had Washington missing a field goal, Peyton Henry missing a field goal, and the game going to overtime and Oregon winning it, Here's Softy, who couldn't go to the game in Eugene, 
in his own living room. He was filming on uh, on uh, Facebook Live or whatever, but it was a quite entertaining look and peek into his psyche. All right, baby, here we go. Oh, man, what a week, huh? Man, I, I feel like shit. My head's killing me, and I don't give a damn. Let's go, Peyton. He's got this. He's going to make this kick. You and I both know he's making this kick. He is going to make this kick. Here we go, baby. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Let's go, big boy. You got it. 38 yards. 38 yards. 38 yards. Come on, Peyton. You got it, baby. Let's go, big boy. Let's go, big boy. Ah, Mario's getting nervous. <coughs> Come on, man. I would have liked to have had a little more. I didn't like running the clock down at the end there. I thought maybe run one more play and try to get to 34, 35 yards. But, hey, just, all right, it's okay. 38 yards. If I would have told you before the game that we'd have a crack at a game-winning 38-yard field goal, I think you would have taken it. And we asked this question before the Auburn game earlier in the year, but we said 40. Now it's 38 at Oregon, and you're talking about game seven, not game one. <sighs> Look at this. Okay, you have nervous. to stop talking. Stop talking. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. <coughs> the big one's upstairs. Wilkers, whatever the hell your name is. Everybody asking, why don't you have a bigger TV? The bigger TV's upstairs, okay? My niece lives with us, and that's her room now. That's why the TV's upstairs and why we're down here, for crying out loud. Stop asking me why we have a small TV. We don't. Make it. Here we go, baby. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Oh, Jesus Christ. I hate this guy. Come on, man. I hate this guy. Ah, shit. And he made that one, just like freaking Matt Bryant missed it against it. I hate this I hate icing the kicker. I hate the targeting rules in college football, and I hate icing the kicker on both sides. Their side, our side, I don't give a whose side, anybody's side. Get it out of the game. Get that crap out of the game. It's driving me freaking crazy. The call on Jalen, the call on the other guy for Oregon, Carl's bad, whatever the freaking hell his name. Terrible. Ruining college football. Hate it. God. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Come on, Peyton. 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 You got it. Snap, hold, like an opera. Every everything's a piece. Just fluid motion. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Come on, Peyton. Come on, baby. Come on, Come on, Peyton. You got it. You got it, Peyton. Unbelievable. There it is. Unbelievable. I will never get tired of hearing that. Uh, Softy's coming up. We He will be joining us at 4 o'clock today. Johnny, it reminded me of a Dan Lanning speech against Colorado. <laughs> you went into the grass. <laughs> that game ended Oregon 35, Washington 31, as, uh, I, as I remember it. And um, there you go. Uh, Peyton uh, Henry missing that field goal. Uh, and uh, the Ducks going on to win it. Softy will be coming up at four o'clock to talk about it. I hope you know he's going to get animated. I I don't get as fired up at his show because he expects me to go on his show, and he expects me to be all like pro Oregon, and I instead I'm just objective, and I kind of see this Oregon Washington game for what it is. I'll tell you how I see it coming up. We'll play punch it audio. You got the BFT statewide. 
Well, Oregon and Washington are going to meet on Saturday in a fantastic football game that I cannot wait to see. I, I think there have been very few times in 20 years of watching this rivalry where I have been, I, I can't think of a time I've been more fired up for the game. You've got Oregon, the most complete team in the Pac-12 conference, Bo Nix at quarterback, a defense that is dramatically improved from last season, a run game that's formidable, playing for high stakes, top 10 program, playing Washington, Kalen DeBoer, Michael Penix Jr. This is it. This is a heavyweight prize fight. Is it possible that we could see a rematch of these two teams in December in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game? Is it possible that that, uh, both of these teams are playoff worthy? Well, we'll get to that. We'll talk about that if you want to. But I think ultimately what I look at when I look at this game is we have seen at different points of this series that Washington stunk for like a decade, and Oregon just boat raced him. And we saw Mark Helfrich and Oregon give up 70 points in a home game to Washington in this series. But what we're watching now with Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer is nothing short of everything that Washington and Oregon has paid for. When you look at the salaries, when you look at the investment in football, when you look at, for crying out loud, what Phil Knight has invested at Oregon and what University of Washington has invested, not just in head coaching and facilities, but in the assistant coaching pool, Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator, this is everything both of these schools have paid for. It'll be on full display on Saturday. I think Oregon's the better team. I think they're more complete. I think they've got the better defense. I think their offense can go punch for punch with Washington, and it's why I think Oregon's going to win the football game. Barring two or three turnovers, barring deer in the headlights or Oregon's defense just coming not to play, and I don't see that happening, I think Oregon's going to beat Washington at Washington and create some reasonable doubt in the mind of the Huskies as to whether or not they are once again not going to get to Las Vegas and the conference championship game. Make no mistake, Washington's been great. Last season, 11 wins. They didn't have to play Utah. They didn't have to play USC. They beat Oregon at Oregon with Bo Nix got hurt. You could argue that Washington in the last year has had some things with scheduling break their way. But I'm looking at Saturday's game. There's no way for Washington to escape what uh, what is going to happen. Oregon's coming to the stadium. They're going to have to play the Oregon Ducks. I don't know. Dan Lanning going to be fired up in his pregame speech? Is he going to be spitting? Is he going to have the uh, the vein on the side of his neck popping out like it was against Colorado in the pregame speech? Uh, I can only uh, hope that they put a camera in the Oregon locker room prior to the game. I'd be curious to see what the banter is about because it's not going to be about clicks. It's not going to be about, you know, we're about substance. I think it's going to be a lot about what happened last year at Autzen Stadium. I don't know if your view is that it was a dirty play that Bo Nix got hurt on or it wasn't. It was just a football play. But I think a lot of people looking back to last season and thinking, hey, uh, as much as Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix say they had unfinished business, I think there was unfinished business in this rivalry. We'll get to see that business finished on Saturday. I like the Ducks to win the game. I think uh, these teams could meet again in December. But I'll give match number one, Edge Oregon, at this point of the season. Now, Kirk Herbstreet, he says he doesn't know how good these teams are. How good is Oregon? How good is Washington? Here's Herbie. I'll be honest. My my one thing that I'm concerned about is I don't know yet. Kind of like 
Ohio State and Michigan. I, I just don't know how good these teams are mm. at this point. You know, I mean, they look great. And then you look who they played, and obviously these are going to be their, their best opponents that they face when they face off. That's the exciting part of this yep. Yep. in college football. You get you get to a point where you think you know Georgia, you think you know Michigan, and then they step into the ring with somebody who's got similar talent. It's like, okay, now we go. And that, that to me, is this game. A year ago, we watched Oregon open the season against Georgia, and we said, nope, not not as good as Georgia, 49-3. to Could have been 70-3 to if Georgia wanted it that way. This year, a little softer, Portland State, 81-7. to You know, the Texas Tech game was a road test, but it's not Washington at Washington. And then week three was Hawaii. Then came Colorado. I mean, Herbie's right. Neither one of these teams has played anybody. But I trust my eyes when it comes to Michael Penix Jr. on the offensive side. Washington's good on offense. Washington's defense, eh, not so much. Oregon's offense is phenomenal, and it's balanced. And Oregon's defense is improved. I'll take the Ducks. How about you? Tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. Let's play some Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's stay with Oregon and Washington. How about Kirk Herbstreit talking about Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix? Remember, Penix Jr. went to Indiana out of high school. Bo Nix went to Auburn. Here they are now in a Pacific Northwest rivalry. Punch I know, by the way, Bo Nix has had like four or five different offense coordinators. Yep. You know, he, he moved up there to go with Dillingham. He ends up going to ASU. Now he's got Will Stein. Uh, you know, it, at Auburn, that was an issue for him. The guy's been through so much. And then with Penix, I mean, the injuries and everything he sustained. So I think we're gonna we're gonna see these offenses are worthy of the hype. I just want to see which defense can hold up and and how much of an advantage playing at Seattle will will rev up uh, that Husky defense. Yeah, the Huskies gonna come to play. They're gonna fly around. They're gonna come to play. Biggest game, I think, of Kalen DeBoer's coaching career and his tenure, short tenure at Washington. But Herbie's right about Michael Penix Jr. Let's start with him. Three season-ending knee injuries at Indiana, including an ACL, two ACL injuries. Bo Nix, the bad foot, miserable by the time he was leaving Auburn. You know, I think this is a great example. Like, if the transfer portal could sponsor a college football game, would the transfer portal not be on this Oregon-Washington game going, look, America, name image likeness is great for the game. Both of these quarterbacks came back for another season. Transfer portal, great for the game. Both of these quarterbacks got second chances in new homes, and it's been great for college football. Pete Thamel, ESPN, pointing out that there's going to be a whole bunch of NFL scouts at Saturday's game. Punch it. Well, Kelsey, there's going to be 34 NFL scouts in attendance at Husky Stadium. That's more scouts than teams. Uh, the obvious focus is going to be on Bo Nix and Michael Penix. From talking to scouts this week, they're both perceived to be in that second-round range right now, and they could end up as first-round picks. Think of that Kenny Pickett, 
20-ish range. They're both very different players, and obviously there's intrigue if you look at the attendance in the press box. The second thing, and something the scouts don't see, is talent in the secondary. Think about all those great UW corners that have rolled through. Think about Christian Gonzalez, Oregon's great corner last year. The secondary doesn't have the talent on either side of the ball, which is why the scouts in the desert set the over-under at 67. It's going to be an aerial show on Saturday. Aerial show, says Pete Thamel. I think uh, 67, not enough. Steven, you think 67's enough? No, I think I actually will go over as well. I mean, maybe that's the square play, John, but I, I don't know how, especially the Washington defense is going to get off the field a lot. And I have questions about the Oregon defense too. So, yeah, I, I think it flies over that total, and I think both teams uh, are in the high 30s, maybe 40s. Yeah, I think I think Oregon can get to 40 in this game. Uh, and I think Washington will be in the 30s. Yeah, I'm giving my prediction. I think Oregon's going to win. Josh Connerly Jr. talking about the atmosphere at Husky Stadium. Home favorites in the Pac-12 are 27-1. and one. Punch Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's all, all, always super crazy, crumpled out, you know what I mean? That's just, that's, just how, that's just how it is, you know what I mean? But, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm ready for it. Does it surprise you at all that as someone that's grown up very familiar with the rivalry, this is the first time both teams are ranked in the top ten? Uh, that, that actually is pretty crazy. I mean, super great teams, you know what I mean, Both on both sides of the ball, you know what I mean? Um, I really don't think there's been a matchup compared to this one in the last, like, I don't know, like, 10 years maybe. And um, But I think, I think it's going to be a fun game. It's really interesting to kind of hear the perspective of a younger person as it pertains to the Oregon-Washington rivalry, right? Because Duck fans will remember, Kenny Wheaton's going to score. And Husky fans will remember, hey, there was decades of dominance before Kenny Wheaton was going to score. And then... Younger, little younger Duck fans, maybe the Millennials will remember, hey, Oregon dominated this series for like 10 or 12 years. Like, you know, Washington was a non-factor. This game stopped being competitive because Oregon won so often. And then Husky fans that are a little younger will say, yeah, but remember that 70-burger that uh, the Huskies put on Oregon during the Helfrich era? Um, what is this rivalry about now? It's been very balanced in the last five or six years. It's been ba- very back and forth. And it, you know, these two teams are going off to the Big Ten together. This thing is culminating at the right time, right stage, two coaches, a lot of investment, a lot of emotion, and oh, here they are as top ten teams. And people are going to tell you, hey, I wish this game were later in the year. Nonsense. This game needs to happen now. You don't wait later in the year for Michael Penix Jr. or Bo Nix to be banged up. I don't need to see Washington State, Oregon State, Utah, USC anymore. These are the two best teams in the conference. I want them to play right now, and then I want to see, can the loser get back to Vegas on December 1st? Can it get back on the inside track, or will it get bumped out of the conference championship game altogether? That's the question. Are we watching Oregon-Washington 1, or are we watching the first of an installment? Like, you know, is this going to be a... Neutral site will see you again in December conversation. Kind of feels like it to me. Steven, do you think these two teams get back to Vegas on December 1? I do not. I think one of them, uh, I think the winner of this game does get to Vegas. I think the loser, it's definitely not an elimination game, but I do not think the loser gets back to Vegas. Will Washington handle the hype? Kayla DeBoer talked about it. Punch it. Yeah, you know, that's the, that's the thing about us. we got a veteran team. Um, we've been now together for a year and a half, and I just give these guys uh, in the program a lot of credit. Uh, they've just focused on 
you know, what they can control, and uh, you know, that's being the best they can be every week. You know, we've just steadily improved. Uh, we've gotten to this point because of that mindset, and uh, that's uh, that's where they're at right now. You know, in these games, uh, yes, they get bigger and bigger, um, but uh, we just got to take care of business now, and that's today with practice, and then we'll worry about uh, you know Saturday when that time comes. Look, I love the two coaches talking about this game. This is not like Shay Norvell and Coach Prime in front of the Colorado-Colorado State game. Uh, a lot of credit flying both ways. Dan Landing at Oregon talking about Washington's offense here. Punch yeah, it. Yeah, exactly that. You, know, you want to figure out how good you are, you get to go against great teams. I mean, this is obviously a really good offensive team. There's going to be some highs and lows in this game, but uh, our ability to play well is going to be a big impact on that. Got to play well. Oregon better come to play. Washington will be there, ready to play. Chauncey Billups and the Blazers, did they look ready last night? Chauncey talking about the Blazers' preseason opener against New Zealand. By the way, 106-66. to Steven, did you bet it? No, you said if, and if anybody did, they're degenerate, they need help, so I decided not to. <laughs> the right play was uh, the Blazers minus 21. Here's Chauncey talking about and it. I thought that it would kind of calm down a little bit. It, it really didn't until, you know, the young guys kind of got in there in the second half and they were just playing so dang hard. And now you get steals and get out and fast breaking and that makes everything easy, you know. So, um, but yeah, overall, I thought, you know, it was good to get that one out the way, finally play against some somebody else, you know. And <laughs> he said it best. It was just somebody else. Chauncey Phillips, Blazers coach. I'm eager to see this team play. I'm more eager to get to know the players. And I I think the Scoot Henderson era, do, can we call it that yet? Can Steven, can we call it the Scoot Henderson era or do we does he need to be good first? Um, I am. I'm calling it the Scoot Henderson era. I I think just based off all these guys' personalities, what I've seen, you know, at for media day and how you see him on the court, like Scoot Henderson has that energy of being the guy, and it's going to be his team. So over everybody else, over Anthony Simons, over Shaden Sharp, over whoever it could be. So, yeah, I'm ready to call it the Scoot Henderson era. And you know what? It, not all eras are good, John. So if he's not very good, it's just it's a, it was a bad era for the Blazers. Could be a bad era. Keaton Oladapo, Oregon State defensive back slash playmaker. Talking about Dante Moore at UCLA. Here's Oladapo punching. Yeah, definitely. We, we see his tendencies. He's looking down receivers. Um I wouldn't say he's always making dumb decisions, but like he, he's a young guy. He doesn't always know the right things to do. So I think we just got to capitalize on that. Um, and we see how other defenses, you know, go after him and make him uncomfortable. So we do try to mimic that a little bit. Look, Dante Moore, as a freshman, has a career-high game last week with touchdown passes. He had one, okay? He's young. He had two interceptions. He threw a pick six. This is a young QB coming to Corvallis to play against an Oregon State defense that has been pretty opportunistic in a hostile environment. Keep an eye on that. If you're a Beaver fan, team's going to need you on Saturday because UCLA's good. Their defense is good. Their run game is good. Moore can be good. He's going to be great someday, maybe. But I think UCLA will make mistakes in this game. And I'm leaning more and more to Oregon State. And I think a big piece of this for me is Research Stadium, where the Beavers have just been lights out. I think it's 15 of 16 at Research Stadium. They have one of the great home field advantages in the Pac-12. I would say Autzen Stadium, Research Stadium, Rice-Eccles Stadium in Utah. 
I'll put those three up top when you talk about home field advantages. Maybe maybe Martin Stadium and Pullman right in there with it. I'm fired up about the Blazers. I'll tell you why coming up. I'm on your side. Leave it here. Well, the Trailblazers haven't even played a regular season game. But I am here to tell you that they took their first loss of the season. Their first L of the season took place before they even tipped off. Hell, it happened even before they tipped off a preseason game. I don't know where to start with this organization sometimes. You look at the Trailblazers and you say, hey, there are things you can control and there are things you can't control as a sports franchise. Like things you can't control, you can't control when players get hurt. You can't control that you know a, a player misses a shot. You can't control uh, that the NBA in some respects is skewed to uh, against small market teams. Makes it harder for small market franchises to be successful. But the things you can control as a sports franchise, the singular most important thing that you can control is the relationship that you have with your fan base. And the Portland Trailblazers continually poke their fans in the eye. They continually turn their backs on their fans. And I'll give you the latest example. This whole Root Sports broadcast fiasco, it is so disappointing to me to see an organization that had such a wonderful relationship with its fan base, it particularly through the extension and, and the connection that broadcasters like Bill Shonley and Brian Wheeler and others over the years fostered with the audience, uh, the glue of, of any professional sports organization is that relationship that it has with its fans. And the Blazers, for whatever reason, just don't get it. They have treated broadcasters poorly. They have made bad decisions on the broadcast front, cycling out broadcasters before it's probably time to do that, going on the cheap, not traveling or announcing they weren't going to travel last season uh, to away games with some of their broadcast team and then reversing course. And the latest now, this Root Sports fiasco that has ultimately uh, you know, turned out to be a middle finger that the Blazers organization is issuing towards its fan base is an uh, obvious and glaring uh, mistake and an obvious and glaring disrespect, sign of disrespect that the Blazers organization is giving to its fan base. Now, the Blazers issue a statement today. Uh, they say, hey, this wasn't in our control. We were surprised by this as well. Blah, 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 blah. But what it centers around is Xfinity, one of their broadcast partners, a distributor, is now saying that the Root Sports package that Blazer fans uh, had subscribed and signed up for as part of their regular sports uh, package when they sign up and they switch to Xfinity or whatever they do, uh, that package now will not be included. Root Sports will not be included with the basic package as part of the Xfinity experience. And, you know, hey, Blazer fans, we're giving you $6 back. Don't worry. You know, we're not going to put this as part of your regular package, but if you want to buy it, you can pay four times that, and you can upgrade into a premium package. And, oh, we're going to do this on the eve of the first preseason exhibition game of the year. This is the wrong time to be doing this if you're the Blazers. This is the wrong time to be pointing at the distributor or Root Sports and saying, well, they surprised us. We didn't know. 
the relationship that Blazers fans have is with the organization. The relationship is between Trailblazer fans sitting in his living room and the NBA franchise playing on the court. Xfinity is the go-between. Root Sports is the, uh, it's the go-between. And I think it's dismissive of that relationship for the Blazers to point and say, hey, we were surprised too. This really wasn't our doing. No, you're the Blazers. You have control of this relationship. It is your doing, ultimately. It's your responsibility to protect that relationship with your fan base. And I'm here to tell you, like I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Damian Lillard's gone, okay? Blazers era, pivoting. This is the wrong time for the Trailblazers to not be available in people's living rooms. This is the wrong time, as young fans in particular want to get to know Scoot Henderson, want to see Shaden Sharp, want to fall in love with this franchise. The Blazers organization is not going to let them do it. More than a decade ago, when the Blazers first made their deal with Comcast, and they said, hey, we're going to sell our TV rights, we're going to take $120 million over a decade, this is, what, this is the new world of uh, professional sports, media rights. It's all about money. It's all about TV eyeballs. And they removed the games from over-the-air sports uh, you know, stations and local stations stopped being able to carry Blazer games. I wondered, how will this affect young Blazer fans and the relationship that they have with their NBA organization? And i got to tell you, I don't think in the last decade Blazer fans have grown closer to the franchise. And in fact, I think in some cases, younger Blazer fans in particular have adopted other teams that they can more frequently see on national television broadcasts. It's a dangerous game that the Blazers are playing right now, particularly with a team that's going to win 27, 28, 29 games next season, not be very good in the win-loss column, not going to draw people in and have people clamoring to go pay the extra 24 bucks a month to go see the team on their Xfinity broadcast. I think it's a bad business move. I think it's poor form by the organization. And I think they're really risking alienating particularly young fans who should spend this season falling in love with Scoot Henderson's game. And instead, they're going to be locked out and shut out. Take a page from the NBA franchise in Phoenix that is saying, hey, we value distribution. We might make a little less money, but we think by being more widely available to more Suns fans, the long play here is that we're creating more Suns fans. These games are going to be out there. Everyone's going to be a Suns fan in Phoenix. And in Salt Lake City, they're doing the same thing. Over-the-air broadcasts, guess what you need to see the Utah Jazz play this season? All you need is a TV antenna. You can see plenty of Jazz games. Why? Because the Jazz said, hmm, do we want to be in front of 1.5 million viewers, potentially maximum, or 3.5 million viewers, potentially maximum? That's not a hard decision. If you're trying to make people fall in love with your franchise, all you have to do is put a product in front of them that's exciting, interesting, and has their city's name written across the chest. They're missing a major opportunity. I think the Blazers are blowing this one, but I'm not surprised. Steven, how do you read it? Yeah, I read it the same way as you do. It surely is very disappointing uh, that this happened on the day of the first preseason game of, of what is a new era. You know, we were talking about the new eras. This is a new era of Trailblazer basketball. And I, I do think that there are a lot of fans that, you know, are still upset with the whole Blazers organization with how the Dame trade went down. And so then to, you know, 
parlay that into, well, now it's going to be even harder to watch the Trailblazers every single night. It's going to be an extra 20 bucks a month to get the ultimate tier package and be able to get Root Sports. It just, it, it, it doesn't make sense from the Blazers' side. Like, you're alienating your fan base even more than it already is. And this is a time when, you know, you want to get people on board. I think, you know, the, the whole argument of keeping Dame was, well, at least Dame will play and then people want to buy tickets they want to watch the games. Well, now there's going to be a lot of unknowns of, well, are we even going to be able to sell tickets very well because we don't know how good this team is or if the fans are going to embrace this new team. And now we're going to get even a less chance of seeing them. So it's very disappointing. Um, but it's like you said, it's not surprising because this has been the Trailblazers' MO for years. And... You know, I, I just I'm never surprised when the Blazers make a bad decision like this and mess things up because that's just that's what they've done. You know, ever since ever since I've been a kid growing up, uh, being around the Blazers. So you know, they haven't had a contender for about 25 years, and uh, you know now they're going to probably lose some fans because they can't even watch their games. I've had this conversation over and over with the Blazers organization, and I and look, I don't think they're bad people, but I think you need to really examine the position you're taking. If your position is we didn't know either. This caught us by surprise, too. Then it tells me you're not doing a lot to protect your relationship with your fan base. It also just doesn't sound real. Like, how would you not know that? That yeah. that seems like a that seems like just such a bad excuse. And I don't think anyone really believes that the Blazers are like, oh, we were caught off guard with this. No, no, no you guys do. Yeah, you're not caught off guard by this. And, and when you moved your broadcast to Root Sports, you ran this risk. You, you got rid of your production team and, and everybody that could be internally that could be there to protect that product it's it's bad decision after bad decision and it disrespects the fan base man softy from kjr in seattle's coming up you're gonna want to be here for this text your favorite duck fan and leave it locked in here because this is gonna go off this is about to go off the rails and i want you here for it once a year I give you a treat. I give you a gift. I'm like uh, I'm like Santa Claus coming down the chimney, and I bring on Softy, Dave Mahler, KJR in Seattle. People look forward to your visit, Dave. I I don't know I don't know why I don't get it, but the listeners love you. Yeah. Well, first of all, the idea of John Canzano wearing a Santa suit coming down my chimney. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I. I don't want to have that thought in my head. And I would not try that if I were you, to be honest with you. Hey, I know we've, we've talked to you in other years when, remember when Oregon was on that big run where they dominated for like a decade, 10, 11 years, and it just was like a formality that they would win the game. And then we brought you on on other years where, uh, you know, Washington put a 70-burger on Mark Helfrich, and it was a very different yeah. story. I, I like this time, man. Both these teams are good. How much fun is this? Well, it is fun. First of all, I'm glad that you brought up that streak because there's a whole new generation of Oregon fans and Washington fans uh, growing up right now that have no idea what the hell that streak is all about, right? I mean, we're talking about, you know, six, seven years now. Uh, really, you had to kind of be maybe 10 or 11 years old, you know, I think at this point to remember kind of Oregon's dominance during that run against Washington. So there's a whole new group of ducklings and uh, and puppies that are growing up now and have no idea what the hell you and I are talking about. And that really is the way 
It should be. I mean, really, from our perspective, the way it should be is Washington should be kicking Oregon's ass every single year. But that's only for guys like me that are 50 years old and still living in the 90s and the 80s, man. So things have definitely changed. Oregon's the shiny new the shiny new object for a lot of us OGs out there that still remember the dominance over the Beavers and the dominance over the Oregon Ducks. And Oregon's not going away. We all get that now because of Uncle Phil and that uh, that treasure trove down there. But John, I got to be honest with you, man. This game on Saturday, um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. I think if Oregon loses to UW, I think it'll be an embarrassment for Oregon, to be totally honest with you. I think if Dan Lanning loses to uh, to Washington Saturday, you got to start looking at Dan Lanning like Ohio State fans looking at Ryan Day and wonder if he can ever beat Michigan. Wow. A big statement there. I, I actually think both these teams could play Saturday and then play again in Vegas. Could you see two Washington-Oregon yeah. games? Could you handle that in a season? I, I absolutely can handle that. I'm not sure if your audience can handle two of me uh, as far as interviews on your radio program, so we'll have to make sure that they're ready for a double dose of softy. But, yeah, I think there's a chance that absolutely could happen because, guys, guys, let's be honest with you. Everybody's talking about this juggernaut and this gauntlet of a schedule that UW has to play and that Oregon has to play. Everybody in this conference has to play that schedule because everybody faces each other for the most part. So, for example, UW, after the Oregon game, has got USC, Utah, Oregon State, and Wazoo. Oregon's got Washington State, Utah, USC, and Oregon State. So anybody going through this thing undefeated, first of all, if anybody in this conference goes undefeated, whether it's USC, UW, Oregon, whatever, that team should be number freaking one in the country by the end of the year. If they run through that schedule in the Pac-12 and then win uh, the Pac-12 championship game against another likely top 10 team at that point in time of the year, that team should be number damn one in the country. So I don't see it. I think there's a real chance that UW and Oregon will meet again. I also think there's a chance, if things fall their way, that UW could win this game Saturday, Oregon wins the Pac-12 championship game, or vice versa, and they still both make the Final Four. How about that? I like that. You know, we saw that with Alabama and Georgia. How about three? How about three games between (laughs) UW and Oregon? How about we meet Saturday, we meet in Vegas, and then we meet again on New Year's Day in the semifinal in the the frickin' Rose Bowl? Can you? How about that? How about three games for UW and Oregon this year? Could you handle that? Like, I I could see you pacing around all week long. Three Uh, weeks? Could you handle three of those? I... I can't even handle this conversation right now, man, to be totally honest with you. All right. Let I me, think for let me, me, like, I, I can't do this conversation without having a damn defibrillator nearby. Let me, put, let me play devil's advocate here. All right. Everybody's saying these yeah. teams are really good. Oregon, Oregon, who have they played? Who has Washington played? Do we know if yeah. these teams are good, Softy? I don't think anybody has really played anybody. How's that sound, right? I mean, Oregon's got the win on the road in Lubbock over Texas Tech, and UW's got a thumping of Michigan State uh, in East Lansing. They're up 41 to nothing late in the third quarter. When they pulled everybody, they probably could have put 60 on, on Sparty, but, you know, Michael Penix went like three or four games in a row, John, and didn't even touch the fourth quarter, didn't even see the field in the fourth quarter. Uh, nobody has really accomplished anything. Uh, let's be totally honest with each other. And really, you know what, when it comes to Kalen DeBoer, in Dan Lanning, in the grand scheme of things, what have these coaches even done, really? I mean, Dan Lanning's got a Holiday Bowl. Uh, Kevin DeBoer's got an Alamo Bowl. I mean, so what? 
Who cares, right? I mean, Oregon wants Final Fours. UW wants Final Fours. Oregon's been to a BCS championship. Washington's been to a Final Four. You're not in it for the freaking Holiday Bowl, and I'm not in it for the damn Alamo Bowl. So in the end, these coaches have done nothing. A lot of teams are top ten in late September, early October. But who's going to be standing in late November, early December? That's all people give a damn about. And these coaches yet have done, have, have not done that yet. And I think this is a big game towards deciding which one's going to do it first. Oregon's got to do a good job against Michael Penix Jr. That's it, it go as as that offense goes, so go the Huskies. Yeah. But what are the coaches at at Washington saying? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I talked to Jamarcus Shepard, who is the wide receivers coach at Washington, and you tell me what you think of this call because I'll be honest with you, Jamarcus does a great job of getting his guys fired up. He, he wants his wide receivers to think that they stink. And he wants his wide receivers to think that they're playing the Legion of Boom every Saturday afternoon. So I, I asked Coach Shepard, by the way, John, yesterday, what is he making this Oregon secondary? Uh, check this out. You tell me if this is just uh, gamesmanship or if he honestly believes this. Probably the best pass defense in the United States of America. Probably the best pass defense I've seen in, in my entire coaching career. These guys are long. Um, they're physical at the line of scrimmage. They play with great technique. Uh, they got guys who want to hit you. Uh, they're going to attack the football. They're going to play the football in the air. There you go. The best secondary in America and maybe the best secondary I've ever seen in my coaching career. Are they that good, or is Jamarcus Shepard just trying to fire up his wide receivers? I think the latter. Yeah, I think the latter as well. I think he's trying to he's sandbagging here. I mean, he's he's trying to not do what – Colorado and some others have done. Everybody saw Dan Lanning in that locker room. You don't think Dan Lanning's going to be up there at Husky Stadium with a vein popping out of his neck telling his guys that, you know, Washington hurt Bo Nix last year and Washington, yeah. it's all about Michael Penix Jr., the flash and the dazzle in the Heisman campaign, never mind that Bodacious is going on. Like, you're going to see yeah. that from Lanning. Yeah, yeah, but because UW is just in it for clicks, and we do our talking with our pads. That's what we do here at Oregon, right? So I, I can't wait for UW if they win this game on Saturday. I want to walk into Lanning's postgame presser and ask him, hey, Dan, how many clicks do you think UW got with this win today over your football team? But, I, John, i got a question for you. Who is going to win the annual Chris Hudson Award for the best fake injury from an Oregon football player this weekend? Low blow. Low blow. Mm -hmm. Who is that? And by the way, how is Chris Hudson doing? We're very concerned in Seattle about Chris Hudson and that unbelievably gruesome injury that he took in the fourth quarter of the UW-Oregon game on Saturday. I know Chris Hudson is not playing a giant role on the Oregon offense right now. I think he's got, like, what, one or two catches for you guys down there. But can you give us an update on, on how Hudson's doing after that gnarly injury you know last year? It's it's within the rules. I mean, you don't think Washington would do the same damn thing? Chip Kelly was no. playing fast? No. You don't think no. the Huskies I've were doing that? No, I've never seen a Husky coach do that in my life, and I'm not saying it's never happened. I'm just saying I've never seen it. I mean, look, the fact that Chris Hudson admitted last year that it was in the game plan, I think kind of made Oregon look stupid, to be honest with you. I mean, I thought it was kind of chicken crap of, of Chris Hudson to do that, but he's obviously being coached by somebody to do that, and that guy is likely Dan Lanning. I brought it up to him at media day in Vegas in July, and he just stared at me and didn't even give me an answer. So I think guys like that just don't like getting called on things like that. But if you don't think that people are going to be busting his chops and Chris Hudson's chops after what happened a year ago, you're nuts. And by the way, the whole Alex Cook thing, they hit on Bo Nix dirty. Are you kidding me? It's football, guys. Give me a break. 
but he you don't a, think you know, you know Oregon's going to use that. You know Oregon's going to show up going. Will. This is all about redemption. This entire game well, is. I've been hearing it from fans who are whining and crying like babies ever since that game a year ago. That it was a dirty hit, softy. You're celebrating the hit. You're celebrating a dirty play. Look, it was a huge play in the game. It knocked the starting quarterback out of the game. There's no way you can minimize the impact of that hit by Alex Cook on Bo Nix a year ago. I said it on Twitter immediately after the game. I don't think if that hit happens, I think Oregon wins the game. Honestly, last year, I think if Alex Cook does not knock Bo Nix out of the game, I think the Ducks win that game in in, uh, in uh, Austin Stadium last year. So if you don't recognize it was a huge play, if you don't recognize it was a huge play in favor of Washington, then you're just naive. You're absolutely ignorant. Uh, to how uh, important those things are uh, with football. There's a reason why teams have backup quarterbacks, guys, because backup because starting quarterbacks get knocked out of football games. So if you're that soft down there in Eugene where something like that bothers you, God, I hope your players aren't that soft because if they are, they're going to get killed on Saturday in Seattle. Give me an idea. Like, Sell me on Washington's defense because I think of the four units that will be on the field, that one is yeah. the weakest. Uh, outside of Arizona, the strong majority of their touchdowns allowed, like 80% of them, came in when the game was already over. Uh, go back and look at the score against California. Go back and look at the score against Boise State, Michigan State. Garbage time touchdowns are, are padding the, uh, the stats against Washington's defense. And you know what? Look, John, I'm sure a lot of teams can say that. I'm sure Oregon can say the same thing. But outside of the Arizona game, which, by the way, we may have learned that Arizona is a little better than people think after what they did to USC. I know USC's defense is pretty terrible, but that's not a mirage, I think, what's happening there offensively with this Fafita kid in Arizona. And if Jed Fish knows what he's doing, he'll continue starting this guy over Jaden Delora. But that's another different uh, conversation for somebody else. You go back and look at what this Washington defense has done. When the game is on the line, halftime, three quarters, whatever, totally different animal. Uh, you go back and look at what they gave up when their starters got pulled and the game was already decided by 35, 40 points or more. That's where the majority, John, of those touchdowns have come. Give me an idea from a Washington standpoint in your lifetime of watching Washington football. Give me the yeah. high point for the Oregon-Washington rivalry in your mind and the low point in your mind. Well, the low point was obviously Kenny Wheaton. There's no question about that. But the high point, here's the thing, John, nobody knows because nobody gave a damn. Nobody cared. Nobody cared about UW-Oregon growing up in the 80s and 90s. Beating Oregon was just like another notch in the win column for UW. So it was never anything that anybody ever kept an eye on, to be honest with you. Obviously, for this generation, it's totally different because of what Oregon did to Washington uh, in the previous 15 years before the last five or six seasons, and they're now 3-3 three and three in the last six. But obviously hanging 70 on them, uh, putting 38, I think, the uh, next year uh, against Justin Herbert in Seattle, and then Probably should have beaten him in 2018. Peyton Henry missing that field goal when Chris Peterson Ooh. called off the dogs. I thought a little bit too early. It should have been three in a row. So for this generation, it's the finger point of Jake Browning. It's hanging 70. It's Mark Helfrich apologizing for the score uh, to you guys, to the Oregon press after that game was over at Austin Stadium. Uh, but outside of that game in 2016, nobody even really followed this stuff because beating Oregon was kind of a given. By the way, I'm kind of surprised that you didn't follow up on the uh, uh, Oregon losing this game would be an embarrassment to Washington thing that I threw at you a few minutes ago. Yeah, I let it pass. But 20, the home teams, the home favorites, <laughs> home favorites in the Pac-12 are 27 and one. 
Washington right. is a home favorite in this game. Yeah. Tell yeah. me, am I crazy for picking Oregon? I think Oregon's the better team. I think no. they're a more complete team. No, I just told you. I think it's going to be an embarrassment if Oregon loses the game. And you just said why. They're, they're, a, they're a way more complete football team. I mean, John, everything that Washington does well, Oregon has an answer for. UW number one in total offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number six in total defense. UW number one in passing offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number five in passing defense. Uh, how about UW number six in sacks allowed in the country? Okay, fine. Oregon's defense is tied for eighth. With 18. Everything UW does well, Oregon has a response. Everything UW does weak, Oregon is good at. Washington, number 62 in total D. Oregon, number two in total offense. UW, 102nd in rush uh, offense. Oregon is 20th in run defense. The Huskies cannot get after the quarterback. Oregon does a great job of protecting the quarterback. This would be an absolute embarrassment. Embarrassment. For Dan Lanning in Oregon to lose this game to Washington because on paper they are better in every single category. You don't get UW now. you got to wonder as an Oregon fan if Dan Lanning can ever get it done. Last season I thought Washington was playing the best football at the end of the year. Everybody thought that. But you look back and you go, hey, they didn't have to play Utah. They didn't have to play USC last year. It was a pretty right. soft 11-2. and two. This year they haven't played anybody. Is this Kalen DeBoer's biggest game ever? Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's his biggest game ever. It's the biggest game in the history of the UW-Oregon rivalry. And we've been debating, John, on the year this week if it might be the biggest uh, regular season game in, in Husky football history. Uh, when you uh, factor in uh, all the variables, two top ten teams for the first time ever in the rivalry, your hated rival in Oregon, uh, you're at home. It's the final game ever between these two schools as a Pac-12 conference member. you got two Heisman Trophy contenders and two Final Four contenders. You can make an argument this might be the biggest regular season home game in Washington history. The only thing that would have made it bigger if it, is if it was played later in the year in November and you had like two 9-0 or two 10-0 football teams going at it in early to mid-November uh, like when these two teams usually get together. So, yeah, this is absolutely the biggest game that Caitlin DeBoer has ever coached in. No question. I like that it's happening here because I think we're going to get it again December 1st. And then you're right. I hadn't even thought about the possibility of a three-banger. Let's do it. Yeah. Like Let's play this thing three times. Hey, you're looking around the conference. Who else? Is there, is there a gap in your mind between Washington and Oregon and everybody else? And how big is that gap as you look at it? I think it's pretty significant, dude. Uh, John, I don't know what you think about this, but I was pretty I was pretty um, uh, surprised by how lame Wazoo looked against UCLA on Saturday at the Rose Bowl. Uh, I thought their offense looked awful. Uh, I was a little surprised by their lack of skill players out there offensively. Obviously, without that pick six uh, that was thrown by Dante Moore, that's not even a football game in the fourth quarter against UCLA. So, Wazoo, I thought, showed a lot of warts. Utah, without Cam Rising, offensively is boring, and they're terrible. Uh, they're not a factor if that guy's not going to play. Uh, UW and Oregon, USC's defense is trash. USC's defense is like Swiss freaking cheese, man. It's a terrible defense last year. It's a terrible defense again this year. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Lincoln Riley made a move with Alex Grinch before the season even came to an end. Uh, I honestly think the three best teams in the conference are in the Northwest. I think it's UW, Oregon, Oregon State, honestly. I think those three teams who still play each other are the top three teams in the Pac-12. Softy, I appreciate you joining us. I'll be with you on Friday. Thank you. Yeah, and we'll see you Saturday, pal. See you there. Dave Softy Mahler.
from KJR in Seattle. I want your phone calls now, 503-417-7575. Your pick for the Oregon-Washington football game. And is Softy right? Would it be an embarrassment for Dan Lanning and Oregon to lose this game? Your phone calls next. I want your phone calls. What would you hear from Softy? Is he sandbagging? Yes, of course he's sandbagging. Try to put some pressure on Oregon. Washington, Oregon, who you got? What would you think of uh, Softy? In his interview there, 503-417-7575 is a number. Mark in Portland, welcome to the conversation. Hey, how you doing? Um, doing well. Yeah, I, I mean, you you keep giving us that number of 27-1 and one for the home favorites, and I, yeah. I'm, uh, I, uh, I hate Washington, so I'm looking for the happy medium. What, where do I bet <laughs> on the money line on Washington to where I, you know, I'm not going to be really upset if they lose, and I think it's it's like 145 to make 100. I'm probably going to put that. 290 to make 200 on Washington, and I'm I'm going to be uh, okay either way. <laughs> so wait a minute. So wait a minute. Wait 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 wait. You're a Duck fan. You're going to bet on Washington to win the game, but hope that you lose your money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd pay if I could pay right now <laughs> to the good Lord 300 bucks that and Washington yeah. loses, I would do that in a heartbeat. That's I how much it. I'm into the game. But, I love it. I, and I and I also uh, you know I I really like Oregon State at home so I'm gonna parlay, a Oregon State to Washington sure and if uh, Oregon if Oregon screws that all up I'm still gonna be happy, but at some point, the certain amount of money I'm gonna be rooting for the money because that that's first with me is the money and I I kind of from a money standpoint John I hate to say it I'm not sure that Oregon's ready to win a game like this I mean like you guys said. Neither one of these teams have really played anybody, and I keep going back to the Texas Tech game. We didn't look so good on the road. So uh, Dan Lanning's never won a game like this at Oregon. So this this is his, the, the, a big test, and I you know I got faith in them. They look pretty good, but we just don't know how good they are, and we're yeah, gonna find I, out. I, I can I can I can remember some games. He beat Utah last season. He beat UCLA last season. There was a little extra juice there for those games. But it was nothing like what I saw and what you saw, what we all saw when Oregon played Colorado earlier this season. There was just something extra there. You could tell that Dan Lanning wanted that game. I think he wants this game, too. I think he's going to want this one. Will that be enough? And what did you hear from Softy? What's Softy trying to do? He's playing mental games, Steven. Softy's trying to put all the pressure on Oregon, trying to say, hey, they have the better team. The, the the better uh, you know this is this should be Oregon all the way I mean this is this is softy this is his act yeah no it is it, and it's a good act right like it's a good Homer act it's a good fun act uh, I, I'm for it I like it I, you know I try not to be a Homer but this is what his thing is and he likes to do it um I did find it interesting though that he talked about the Washington defense because I think you're right when you talk about the four units on the field the Washington defense is by far and I mean by far the worst de- the worst unit that we've seen with our eyes and by the stats and then Softy bounced back with well a lot of those points were given up when the game was already over and then he used that against Washington's defense saying well this is why Oregon should dominate so I, I do think that's the interesting part of- about this whole game is is the Washington defense as bad as we think it could be which mm. I don't think it's USC bad but the stats don't lie. And I and I go back to that Cal game. I watched that whole second half of yeah. Cal-Washington. Cal was going up and down the field on Washington. 
So I, I think Oregon's going to be able to score, but I, it, Washington, the defense of Washington's going to have to make some plays, and they're going to have to prove that maybe it was just kind of a fluke and they were giving up points at the end of these ball games, or else this could be an Oregon win, and Oregon may just be the better team. So I, I found that very interesting that he used it against and for his argument, which is you know that's that's a good radio guy right there. But I, I think he's playing. He's I think he's playing a game. I think he's I think he's trying to put some pressure on Dan Lanning by saying. Hey, Oregon's a better team. Oregon, everything that Washington does, Oregon has an answer for, and it would be an embarrassment if he loses this game. He's trying to foster and drum up some, you know, some pressure on the Oregon side. And then you go and you look at the Heisman odds, and Michael Penix Jr. is the favorite to win the Heisman. So you know, it's the same thing over and over. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I, this game is fascinating, though. I I seriously cannot wait to watch this game. And you know that uh, those fans up in Seattle are going to be rabid. Robin Sherwood, Rob, welcome to the conversation. Hey, how's it going, John? Going all right. Good. Hey, Softy's a windbag. He's he's setting himself up for when the Huskies lose this weekend. He's going to say, well, you know, the Ducks were the better team uh, because of this and this and this. They have all the pressure. They're the ones playing at home. They're the ones that have the Heisman, the Heisman Trophy front runner. They're the ones that have three wide receivers that could go in the top, you know, first round of the draft. Not the Ducks. You know, he's he's setting himself up for excuses, and I, I found it comical that the low point for them was Kenny Wheaton, and he kind of glossed over the fact that the Ducks beat the Huskies 12 straight times, something the Huskies never did even in the 70s and 80s and 90s when the Ducks weren't great. So, you know, he's a windbag. He likes to push buttons. He's got all these collars all fired up, especially me. So, you know, he's, he's doing his thing, but, um, yeah, Ducks win 42-28 Saturday. Rob and Sherwood weighing in. Gary and Tualatin. Gary, what's up, Gary? Hey, John. Go Ducks. Yeah, uh, I've got a lot of fa- uh, friends and family up in Seattle, and uh, he, he sounds like uh, all of them. They're terrified of the Ducks. We've had very good success up there. It's not about the coach. We've had five different coaches win up there, uh, going back to Lou Barnes and Don Coleman and and all those uh, great uh, last minute plays that have broken their hearts so many times and he's he's scared I get it uh, and we're going to go up there and take care of business and uh, go away with a win. I think uh, I think that you're right. I it does scare me. The Washington offense is scary and I think Michael Penix Jr. and Washington will move the ball. But the question for me is, you know. Oregon's defense much improved from last year. Washington got 35 on them or 37 on Oregon last year at Autzen Stadium. I I kind of think Washington's going to be in the low 30s. Oregon's going to have to score to win this game, and I think it's something like 35-31, 38-31. If it gets out of hand, it could be 42-31. I I I just don't see Washington stopping the Oregon offense. And uh, let's go to Jesse, who's listening in Klamath Falls. Jesse, welcome. Hey, John. I just got off work after a long, tiring day, and I get in the car, and I have softy screaming at me on the radio. <laughs> and I normally tune into your chill, and I knew you said you were getting him on, but, man, I was not ready for that. I know. Uh, I know. And he, he, is, he tries to he get me all. He tries to get me all riled up on his show. And he starts yelling and getting excited, and and uh, I just I I can't fake the enthusiasm. Like I'm not a duck homer, but I did, I just think Oregon's the better team. 
Yeah, I I mean, I, it's a shtick, like you guys were just saying. I know exactly who he is, so I just had to take a deep breath yep. and uh, be like, whatever. <laughs> um, <right>. But, <laughs> yeah, the reality is is it really comes down to me for Oregon. If, they, if the penalties are low and they can force a minimum of two to three field goals out of that offense, it's a big win. Um, there's no way that Washington stops the Oregon offense, but if Oregon shoots itself in the foot, that's the that's going to be a big problem, and they've been uh, they've been terrible with penalties all year, so that worries me. But if you can force them, they're going to move the ball. That that offense is scary. But if you force them to two to three field goals, then Ducks win going away. That's what I think. I appreciate the phone call. Biggest factor of the game to me is Oregon in the second half of the game. If you look at the opposing offenses against Washington. They have been very good in moving the football in the third quarter in particular. Oregon at halftime needs to be right there with Washington at halftime. I even could say Washington could have a small lead going into the intermission, and I'd feel really good for Oregon. What you can't have is a eyes-wide-open, Every once in a while, the stage too big, college game day, all that. There's a lot of emotion around the game. What you can't have is a flat start for Oregon. I think Dan Landing and his coaching staff will take care of that. I have no doubt that they will come ready to play. But I don't think either side losing this game is an embarrassment. I think that is a dramatic overstatement by Softy to try to point out, hey, one side or the other side losing this game, it would be an embarrassment. He's trying to foster some false pressure, trying to manufacture some hysteria. The truth is, these are the two best teams. There's a gap after them. In all likelihood, I believe that these two teams could get back to Vegas on December 1st and play again. And so what I really want to see here is I want to see a really good game. I want to see a really entertaining game. I want to see Oregon tested. I want to see Washington tested. I want to see Bo Nix at his best, Michael Penix Jr. at his best. And I frankly think when you look at the two quarterbacks – you know, I don't have questions about either one of these guys. They're both going to be fine. And I look at, you know, the wide receiver core at Washington, the wide receiver core at at Oregon. They're going to be fine. Oregon's defense, I think Oregon's defense is going to be all right against Michael Penix Jr. I, I don't think Washington will run the ball on them at all. And I think Oregon will do okay against Michael Penix Jr. I thought they had a decent plan a year ago against him. And I think if Bo Nix stays healthy, they win the game at Autzen Stadium. He doesn't stay healthy. They lose 37-35. That's the way it went. But I think the biggest question, without a doubt, is on the defensive side of the ball for Washington. They have to be scared out of their mind, thinking, how do they stop the Oregon running game? How do they limit Bo Nix if he's healthy? How do they stop the Oregon receivers who are better this year than they were a year ago? Oregon's better. And that, to me, is the biggest mismatch on either side of the ball at Husky Stadium next weekend. It's Oregon's offense against Washington's defense. How many times is Oregon going to punt in this game? That That's a legit question. Like, is Oregon going to have one of those games where they only punt once or twice? Like, it, it kind of could be that game or that kind of game for Oregon. Ken is in Portland. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Um, so I kind of have a, a perspective on this. I think you're right. It's going to come down to Oregon's offense versus uh, the Huskies' defense, first off, the Huskies' defense is better than what it was last year, too. Um, it's it's pretty much the same defense. It's just that they were so injured at the beginning of the year. So much of their defense was injured. And they got them back towards the end of the year, and they started playing better. 
I think the big key in this game is who spends more time, which defense spends more time in the backfield of the opposing offense is going to win this game. The other thing I was going to say is right now, weather.com shows that it's supposed to be rainy in Seattle on Saturday. A rainy game will favor whoever runs the ball better. And right now, the Ducks run the ball better than the Huskies do. So I think you're right. It's going to come down to Oregon's offense versus versus their defense, but I think it's going to come down to a running game. Yeah, I think, look, the, the forecast in the middle of the day is for cloudy in about 58 to, to 62 degrees. Uh, rain not expected in Seattle on Saturday until about 6.40 p.m., so it would be right at the end of the game that you may get a sprinkling of rain. So I don't think the rain's going to be that big a factor, and I'm glad for it. I want to see Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix at their best, throwing the football, in, you know, not in the rain, but in a stadium that offers um, good conditions, favorable conditions. Uh, it would be a huge win for Dan Landing and his staff, and they need this and probably want this win. I also think Kalen DeBoer is sitting on the other sideline going, hey, who did you beat last year? Who did you beat? Didn't have to play Utah. Didn't have to play USC. Won 11 games. Felt pretty good about it. Beat Oregon late in the year with Bo Nix getting hurt in the game. That was clearly their best win of the year. And then I kind of just look at their season and I go, gosh, they had a great year. They're 11-2. and two. They want to, you know, go to a bowl game and, you know, go to an Alamo Bowl and finish with 11 wins. That's awesome. But the two teams that played in the Pac-12 championship game, Washington didn't have to play either one of them. They have to play the best two teams. Oregon beat Utah. Washington did not play them. Did not play USC. And I look back at that. You don't have to play Cam Rising. You don't have to play Caleb Williams. You win 11 games. Still a great year. But I look back and I go, since Kalen DeBoer got to Washington, who have they beat? They beat Oregon. At Oregon. But they'll get another shot. I think this is his most difficult opponent since coming to Washington. He's got him at home where he's expected to win, and he's a favorite in the game. So I'm looking at this going, Washington favored, Washington playing at home, Kalen DeBoer never having really in his era, having faced an opponent of this magnitude, not playing, you know, he's playing the highest ranked team he's ever played. Oregon, this year's Oregon team at, at number eight. Uh, feels kind of big. Feels kind of important. Feels like a, a you know a big stage, if you uh, if you want to use those words. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five is the number. I want you to weigh in on this game. I want you to tell me what you think of the Oregon Washington matchup. I like Oregon to win the game. I think they are the better team. I think they are the most complete team in the Pac twelve. I'm gonna pick them to win this game. But it's, this is going to be a fantastic game. And this is everything that we wanted when we said, okay, these are two programs that have invested heavily and have all the best players and two great quarterbacks in the portal, and it's going to be lights out. It's going to be so fun. But is it an embarrassment if Oregon loses this game? I don't, I don't see it that way. And I don't think it's an embarrassment either if Kalen DeBoer and Washington lose it. I just think there's some pressure there, given that he's the home team. And I don't think it's that far-reaching to think that either one of these teams could lose this game, come back and win the conference championship game, and go to the playoff. This is not an elimination game. Not an elimination game. There's an elimination game being played in the state of Oregon. 
Oregon State and UCLA are playing a game. Loser of that game is not going to get to Vegas. Two-loss team going to have a difficult time getting to Las Vegas and getting to the conference championship. But both of those teams are coming in with one conference loss. Somebody's going to get knocked out of the race. That's an elimination game. This Oregon-Washington game, not an elimination game. I want you to leave it here. Get the ball to face the truth. Softy from KJR in Seattle. You want the podcast of that? Grab it. We'll have it up shortly. Um, you know, I'd love it. Steven, could you pull a couple clips from the Softy thing? Because I'd love to reboot those in the 5 o'clock hour just to kind of let people know a couple of times where his blood pressure rose and he got a little out of hand. Uh, I want to play a little bit of Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer talking about Oregon's defense here. Yeah, I just think they continue to steadily, steadily improve. And, um, you know, I think their their physicality is uh, something that stands out, you know, not just defensively, but as a team. So, um, you know, I know we're up to the task and, uh, you know, we're excited about the, the opportunity. Dan Landing, meanwhile, talking about Washington's offense. Yeah, exactly that. You know, you want to figure out how good you are. You get to go against great teams. I mean, this is obviously a really good offensive team. There's going to be some highs and lows in this game, but uh, our ability to play well is going to be a big impact on that. Kalen DeBoer talking about how even he thinks this matchup is. From what you've seen on film, how even do you think this matchup is Saturday? Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, going to gonna be a great game, uh, that's for sure. you got uh, two great quarterbacks. Um, we have all the respect uh, in the world for Bo and, uh, you know, what he's doing there, leading, you know, not just their offense, but their team. You know, we got to do a good job of trying to corral uh, he and the, their offense, um, you know, who are doing a great job this season. Kirk Herbstreet talking on ESPN about, um, or excuse me, talking on Seattle Sports 710 about the concerns about the Washington run defense. If, there, if I were concerned about one thing, because Washington's going to score. They're going to score on anybody they play with the skill that they have and with the way Michael's plan. My one concern for Washington is, is the run defense. You know, like, like I, I, I think they're, they're pretty good. I think they can hold up. But Bucky Irving and Jordan James and Bo Nix, I mean, that's a, that's a different animal in the scheme and the tempo. Um, so... That part of it, I think, could be a big factor in this game. Obviously, anytime there's so much emotion, which of these quarterbacks is able to just kind of let the game come to them and not feel like they have to live up to the hype and try to make a play. And just uh, and I think the experience of both these guys, they're, they're kind of grizzled, grizzled veterans, you know, with everything they've been through. Is there a quarterback edge in this one? Steven, you look at this on paper. Penix Jr.'s got the better numbers. But Bo Nix, 15 touchdowns, only one interception, doesn't make mistakes. Is there an edge here, or do you sort of see the quarterback battle as a wash? That's a good question. I, I think for me, I think Penix is the more dynamic player than Bo Nix, and I think I trust him just slightly more. It's not a big advantage, but being in Seattle and Penix being just more comfortable with that system, uh, the way he's throwing the football almost 400 yards a game, Like I think Penix – is the better player, better college player right now. So I, I think the slight advantage for me is to give it to Michael Penix over Bo Nix. Not saying Bo Nix can't make the plays, but if I had to choose, I'm going Penix. Penix, Bo Nix, interesting battle to me. People have been unable to get to Penix. They've dropped eight defenders and said, okay, we're going to make it hard on him, and we're going to drop a whole bunch of players. They've come after him. You can't quite get to him. I'm curious what Oregon's strategy will be in this game. Um, I'm I'm really curious to see if Oregon defensively 
will sit back or will they come after Michael Penix Jr.? What's the right play with Penix? I think you got to go after him. I think you have to be selective when you do it, but I think you have to go after him and try to make him uncomfortable. I agree. you got to get after Penix somehow. It's going to be tough because the thing about Michael Penix and Washington is you just trust them, right? You trust Caitlin DeBoer to draw up that type of protection to keep Michael Penix upright. But I do think that Penix, he gets un- is, he's underrated at you know escaping pressure and making plays off script when he has to. He doesn't look to run. He's not he's not the runner that Bo Nix is, but he does look to make plays outside the pocket if he has to, and I think he can do that. It's going to be interesting to see how much pressure Washington can get on Bo Nix because even as Softy said, that Washington defense has been terrible rushing the passer this season. There's numbers that back that up, and I do think that if Bo Nix just gets time, it could be easy for the Oregon Ducks to score on this Husky defense. So I think that is the key of the game. you got to get after both quarterbacks. I think it's going to be difficult for both. I think just the way that I trust that Washington offense and the way that this Washington defense has performed – I think it's going to be tough for both sides, Oregon and Washington, to get some pressure on the quarterback. This is the first time in this series history where both teams are ranked in the top ten. It's the first time since 2004 that two Pac-12 teams have faced each other when they're both 5-0 or better. Last time was 5-0 USC beating 5-0 Arizona State 45-7 in 2004. USC was number one at the time. Arizona State was number 15. It, it it this is the biggest regular season Pac-12 game in the in the Pac-12 era. Like in the last 11 12 years there has not been a bigger game. This is the biggest game ever. Now the winner of this game is going to be in the driver's seat to get one of the Pac-12 uh championship uh, game bids in December. But the schedules for these two teams are almost identical in the last six weeks of the season. Five of each team's remaining six games are common opponents, with uh, the Bay Area schools being the only difference. Oregon will host Cal. Washington will go to Stanford. Everything else is the same. Washington will play USC, so will Oregon. Washington will play Oregon State, so will Oregon. Washington will play Utah, so will Oregon. Washington will play Arizona State, so will Oregon. They all they have five of the, the six games are identical. Now, um, by the way, Washington beat Oregon last season in Eugene, but they have never defeated a top ten Oregon team in Seattle. They are zero and four all time when Oregon's ranked in the top ten and coming to Seattle. And by the way, Oregon has not beat a top ten Husky team on the road since 1997 where Oregon beat number 6 Washington 31-28. By the way, um, that's the only time in program history that Oregon has defeated a top-10 Washington team. So here here comes the series. And here's the other thing. Here's something else I want to throw out there. I think this is Washington's chance. As much as you can talk about like the pressure being on Oregon, I don't think Washington's going to out-recruit Oregon in the next decade. I think Dan Landing and Oregon are about to go on a bender when it comes to recruiting. I think they are going to go on a run in the Big Ten Conference, funded fully, that is unprecedented for a team maybe outside of USC. I think Oregon is going to put together some teams that are going to be scary in the Big Ten Conference. 
And I think Washington's going to have a hard time keeping pace. So I think there's a little bit of a window pressure here. If nobody's saying it publicly, I want I want to say it. I think if Washington wants to beat Oregon and best Oregon, I think this is the season for Washington to get them because I think two years from now, three years from now, when this group of players cir- cycles out at Washington and Oregon, I think Oregon's going to have better players than Washington. I don't know if Oregon's going to have better players than Ohio State or Michigan. I think they're going to have better players than Washington, though. I think there's a little bit of pressure there. By the way, last year, Michael Penix Jr., do you remember? He threw for 408, 408 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Bo Nix threw for 279 and two touchdowns, also rushed for a touchdown and 55 rushing yards. Bucky Irving had 149 yards rushing. Jalen McMillan had eight receptions for 122 yards. And remember, Peyton Henry kicked the go-ahead field goal with 51 seconds left. And uh, Oregon could not answer with Bo Nix injured. So I think, uh, you know, this is going to be a big one. And uh, obviously a lot of pressure. Do you agree with that statement, though, Stephen? True or false? This is Oregon. This is Washington's shot to get Oregon. Um... No, I, I I think that's false. I, I think that they can get them, obviously, but I don't think like this is the shot to get them. You know, I think with Kalen DeBoer, you're gonna have a good team no matter what. And I think with all the investments going into the Washington, now that they're going to the Big Ten, I don't think that Oregon is gonna be that much better of a program, more prestigious program than Washington is. I think they're kind of on the same level as long as they got a good coach up there. With Washington, they're going to be good. The problem is when Washington is bad is their head coach isn't very good, whether that's Tyrone Willingham back in the day or, you know, even Steve Sarkeesian, who you could argue is or isn't a great coach. Uh, you know, of course, Jimmy Lake the last couple of years before they got Kalen DeBoer. Like, you get Chris Peterson in there, you win ball games. You get a good coach like Kalen DeBoer in there, you're going to win ball games. So I don't think that this is the time for Washington to get Oregon. If they lose this game, I think next year they could get them. I think they could get them the year after that. I do think that this Washington team, though, if they win this game, and I think it's very possible that they win this game, they could, with that schedule coming up, they could afford to lose that one game and still be good to get to the college football playoff. And and I think that's the most important thing for them is to try to get there because they got the team to do it. They got the quarterback to do it. But I don't think this is like necessarily a must-win situation for the entire program. I keep wondering, too, that if, if this is a close game, let's say it's an Oregon win by a field goal at the end of regulation, or it's a Washington win in overtime. It's a very close game. We could see a repeat of what we've seen in the SEC, where Alabama and Georgia have played, uh, you know, we saw number one lose to number three in the conference championship game, in the SEC title game, and both teams go on to the playoff. I think we could see two teams considered strongly by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, two teams from the Pac-12 Conference, which would make this conference breaking up even a bigger shame. It would be, I mean, it's just criminal what we're watching happen. All right, the 5 at 5's coming up. Steven's going to give us his biggest and baddest stories of the day. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, will be joining us at 5.20. I want you here to hear Jonathan Smith. He'll be with us. Dan Lanning on tomorrow's show in the 4 o'clock hour. Want you here for it. I've asked for Kalen DeBoer. I've asked for Michael Penix Jr. Washington at this point has not responded to me. They normally do. What are they doing? What are they afraid of? What, are they afraid I'm going to ask a question? Uh, am I, you know, too much sandbagging? What? What are they afraid of? They're afraid to put Kalen DeBoer or Michael Penix Jr. on this show? They've both been on multiple times. We'll find out.
I want you to leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide. We're on Oregon Washington week. Jonathan Smith still ahead. Oregon State's got a big one with UCLA on Saturday as well. Leave it here for hour number three. And Stephen is all stretched out. He's ready to go. He's hydrated. The five at five is next. Tell yeah. me, am I crazy for picking Oregon? I think Oregon's the better team. I think no. they're a more complete team. No, I just told you. I think it's going to be an embarrassment if Oregon loses the game. And you just said why. They're they're a, they're a way more complete football team. I mean, John, everything that Washington does well, Oregon has an answer for. UW number one in total offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number six in total defense. UW number one in passing offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number five in passing defense. Uh, how about UW number six in sacks allowed in the country? Okay, fine. Oregon's defense is tied for eighth with 18. Everything UW does well, Oregon has a response. Everything UW does weak, Oregon is good at. Washington, number 62 in total D. Oregon, number two in total offense. UW, 102nd in rush uh, offense. Oregon is 20th in run defense. The Huskies cannot get after the quarterback. Oregon does a great job of protecting the quarterback. This would be an absolute embarrassment. Embarrassment for Dan Lanning in Oregon to lose this game to Washington because on paper they are better in every single category. You don't get UW now. you got to wonder as an Oregon fan if Dan Lanning can ever get it done. Softy from KJR in Seattle joining us last hour. Woo! Get the podcast wherever you get a podcast. Uh, look, he's sandbagging. It's his shtick. He's a WWE wrestler. Everybody knows it. This is what Softy does. He will bang the drum. He will cry from the mountaintops. From our perspective, the way it should be is Washington should be kicking Oregon's ass every single year. But that's only for guys like me that are 50 years old and still living in the 90s and the 80s, man. So things have definitely changed. Oregon's the shiny new the shiny new object for a lot of us OGs out there that still remember the dominance over the Beavers and the dominance over the Oregon Ducks. And Oregon's not going away. We all get that now because of Uncle Phil and that uh, that treasure trove down there. But John, I got to be honest with you, man. This game on Saturday, um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, I think if Oregon loses to UW, I think it'll be an embarrassment for Oregon, to be totally honest with you. Softy sandbagging and trying to set Oregon up. We're not going to let him do that. Here, Here is a more rational and reasonable position he took on the show. Uh, nobody has really accomplished anything. Uh, let's be totally honest with each other. And really, you know what? When it comes to Kalen DeBoer and Dan Lanning, in the grand scheme of things, what have these coaches even done, really? I mean, Dan Lanning's got a holiday bowl. Uh, Kalen DeBoer's got an Alamo Bowl. I mean, so what? Who cares, right? I mean, Oregon wants Final Fours. UW wants Final Fours. Oregon's been to a BCS championship. Washington's been to a Final Four. You're not in it for the freaking Holiday Bowl, and I'm not in it for the damn Alamo Bowl. So in the end, these coaches have done nothing. A lot of teams are top ten in late September, early October. But who's going to be standing in late November, early December? That's all people give a damn about. And these coaches yet have done, have, have not done that yet. And I think this is a big game towards deciding which one's going to do it first. Gosh, 21 wins between them last season. They did something, didn't they? Softy also went on to say that if Washington wins the football game, 
He's going to be obnoxious in the post-game news conference. No other way around it. Yeah, yeah, because UW is just in it for clicks, and we do our talking with our pads. That's what we do here at Oregon, right? So I, I can't wait for UW if they win this game on Saturday. I want to walk into Lanning's post-game presser and ask him, hey, Dan, how many clicks do you think UW got with this win today over your football team? But Man, softy. Uh, aiming low, aiming high. Uh, let's do it. We got the five at five. Steven's going to give it to us. The five at five. You got to follow that act, Stephen. Number one story. Go ahead. I don't know how I'm going to do that, man. That is, is this too good? Uh, so we talked about a little bit the Blazers last night. They opened up the season beating the New Zealand Breakers, covering the spread. Scoot Henderson made his debut along with a ton of other Blazers. But, of course, right before the game, Xfinity announced they were dropping Root Sports from his basic package, and they will be upping it to the ultimate tier. Now, the Blazers, they responded say, John, they sent out a tweet saying the sports broadcasting industry is rapidly evolving. And like many sports teams, we are experiencing it in real time. Our goal is to always provide the best broadcast to the most fans we can. We were just made aware that Xfinity has moved Root Sports mm-hmm. to a different package and are exploring solutions to keep or to help ease this transition and impact on our fans. We encourage fans to visit RootSports.com to check all providers in the area and to contact Xfinity to ensure their package includes Root Sports. So the Blazers putting out a message saying they just found out about this too, just like everybody else. But uh, it's hard for me out. to believe. It's a cop out. You're you're putting the the job of managing the relationship between the fans and the organization on the fans instead of the organization. Call Root Sports. Call Xfinity. No, that's not a real solution if you're the Trailblazers. What the Blazers need to do is they need to say, Hey, wait a minute. Our fans are important to us. They need to be the one pushing back with their partners. Do not be an apologist for Root Sports or Xfinity. The Blazers can't sit back and go, well, Root Sports is in charge of the production. It's not very good. No, they'd call them tomorrow and they'd say, hey, your production quality is terrible. Up the game there. The Blazers likewise should be on the phone to Xfinity saying, hey, this is a problem. We can't get distribution if you're putting our games on and you're saying it's part of a high-tier package. Blazers don't have the product that's going to drive that either. The market's not going to lie here. The loser, ultimately, are young fans who are not going to be able to see this Scoot Henderson team because their parents are going to go, eh, they're not worth 24 bucks a month or whatever more the Xfinity people want to carry root. Number two. Well, John, Mark Stoops in Kentucky, they had a big game last week against Georgia. Some people thought, hey, maybe Kentucky, 5-0, number 20 in the nation. They could upset Georgia, who struggled this year. Well, no, that did not happen. Georgia won 51-13. And now Mark Stoops is on his coaches show on the radio. He pleaded to fans that if they want to compete with the likes of Georgia, then they need to pony up some more money, some more donations, and that Georgia bought some pretty good players. Here's Mark Stoops on that issue. You know, again, I'm not making any excuses. I mean, but that's the way it is. It, again, for us, it's, it's you know, we, we got to watch it. We got to see it. You got to own it. You know, you got to solve it. And then we got to go do it. You know, the other side of that, the, the you know, the, the other side, if you want to do that, it's blame, complain, deny, or make excuses. And we're not going to do that. You know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, fans have that right. I, I give it to them. And, you know, I just encourage him to donate more because that's what those teams are doing. And and uh, and uh, I could promise you, in Georgia, they, they bought some pretty good players. You're allowed to these days, and uh, we could use some help. That's what they look like. You know what I mean? When you have 85 of them, so so uh, I encourage uh, anybody that's disgruntled to to pony up some more. 
No excuses, John, but please pony up more money so I can buy more players and better players instead of me coaching them better. Yeah, I don't. I uh, look. I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's being disingenuous when you know he looks over and he's basically just saying, "Hey, if we don't get an investment in the NIL collective, we can't keep pace." It's kind of the reality of college football. But I do find it kind of lame in the aftermath of a defeat. Maybe this is a conversation you have in the off season. It's basically saying, "Quit complaining. Give money to the collective instead." I don't know if this is the best look coming from the head coach. In fact, it's not It's not a great look coming from the head coach. Number three. Well, I don't know if many people know this. Uh, I do because I'm a big college basketball guy. But today was Pac-12 Basketball Media Day down in Las Vegas. Uh, and, of course, a lot of questions surrounding the conference, the uncertainty of the Pac-12 and the Pac-2. Wayne Teagle, Dana Altman both asked about the rivalry of the two teams if they plan to play some out-of-conference games here is Wayne Tinkle on that question. Yeah, um, I, I think for sure, uh, Dana and I have had a couple conversations. Um, what it'll look like until we know where everything's at, um, I think we'd be able to answer that a little more clearly. Uh, but you're talking about the most oft-contested rivalry uh, in the country. It'd be a shame uh, to lose that. Um, I, I don't know that we could play twice a year um, with, with our schedules, but. Um, certainly, we're looking at all options and having those conversations, and we'll know more as we get more answers moving forward. I think that's great, great answer there. You know, get at least one game into the rivalry series of the Civil War. Uh, Dana Altman echoed the same same sentiment, but also added on later that now that they're in the Big Ten, the Ducks are. He's going to be looking at non-conference games to stay on the West Coast. There's so much travel with the Big Ten schedule. He says, you know what? I used to like playing non-conference games nationally. I'm not going to be looking to do that now, so I would love to play Arizona. I would love to play Colorado. I'd love to play Oregon State. Love to play these Pac-12 teams in the non-conference schedule, but, John, it sounds like both schools, as long as the higher-ups are willing to let it happen, they want to continue the Civil War basketball rivalry. Yeah, look, I um, I think it's good, and I think it should continue. I also know that I have talked with sources on both sides as it pertains to both basketball and football. And I think there's more enthusiasm and more movement with the Oregon-Oregon State Civil War rivalry than there is with the Apple Cup right now. Some of that is because University of Washington had to be the entity that filed the uh, petition to the court in Whitman County to dismiss the lawsuit by Oregon-Oregon State, brand-new athletic director at Washington. There's just some complicating factors on the Apple Cup side that I think have kept those sides from talking. I do know that Rob Mullins at Oregon and uh, Scott Barnes at Oregon State have been in contact. I think they've been in regular discussions. I think they want, ultimately, to play this game, the the football game and basketball games. But I think there's a little bit of, um, I think there's a little bit of logistical, you know, maneuvering that's going to have to happen to make it come true. I also think... It's gonna be. It's gonna take a concession by Oregon because Oregon wants to play seven home games. Everybody wants to play seven home games. That's what it's about in football, at least. Basketball is a different animal. But they want to play seven home games. That's the formula. So it's gonna be hard for Oregon. They're gonna have to make some kind of concession to say, look, in in odd numbered years or whatever, every other year, we're gonna have to play this game on the road. And it's the right thing to do. And I do think it's the right thing to do. I think Oregon and Oregon State should play this football game but isn't it, and play basketball. It's way more it, It's more feasible to think about it playing on the basketball side than the football side, right? Because I, I feel like there's so much hostility between Oregon and Oregon State, especially uh, just Oregon State and all the Pac-12 schools. Like, 
they don't want to give in. If you're the Beavs, you're not going to give in to anything the Ducks demand. Like, you're not going to only Eugene. Where I think in basketball, it's so much easier, and it's more like this was all a football move. The Big Ten move was all about football, and I think we understand that as a basketball program. So I think, like, the hostility is still there with these teams on the football side. It's going to be so much easier to play this game on the basketball side. Yeah, it'll be easier in those other sports. And I think ultimately we all kind of recognize that, it, you know, it's not a big revenue loss for Oregon to say, hey, we'll play we'll play a home-and-home home with you. I think that in football it's more important, though. I, I think more important than basketball, it's important that this football thing gets played, and it gets played as a home-and-home and, home and not just – you know, Oregon State having to go to, um, you know, go to Oregon every other year and then not get not get the return game. So I think football, basketball, I think is a no-brainer, but I think football needs to happen too. I, I'm not in the crowd that says, hey, this thing, uh, there's such bad blood, it shouldn't be played. I think um, at some point it's good for the state, it's good for athletes, it's good for fans. It's great for Oregon State fans to see it. It's good for Oregon fans to see it. But, yeah, basketball is a start. And I also think, um, you know, there's a real uh, – I think it's a fair deal to kind of point out that, um, you know, the the non-revenue-generating sports, you absolutely need these games. You need these games to be in the Pacific time zone. It helps Oregon more than anybody. How soon out should could we expect a non-conference Oregon Oregon State football game? Is that next season? Is that 2030? Like, what would you put your money on right now? Well, I know there's some maneuvering that you know. I talked off the top of the show today. I wrote today at johnconzano.com about the schedule maneuvering that's going on right now. There's a whole bunch of schedule maneuvering going on, not just at Oregon and Oregon State, but at other places. And a lot of it has been caused by the conference realignment. And you know, a bunch of Pac-12 teams going to the Big 12, going to the Big 10, going to the ACC. You've got uh, just a ton of available dates and a lot of logistical issues. And so I know that Oregon State reached out to Portland State and tried to move the 2025 Week 1 game. And I thought for a second, ooh, are they trying to get a Civil War game in there? And so I started calling around, and it turns out, no, they were, they're trying to do something else. I don't know really what they're trying to do. They're trying to do something else. I don't think this can happen in 2024. I think it's going to be really hard. Even though Oregon plays 13 games, including Hawaii, it would it would take something like, like I can create a case for it. Oregon State could negotiate with Texas Tech to take the Texas Tech game off of Oregon's plate. Oregon State goes to Autzen Stadium in place of Texas Tech. Texas Tech then turns around and plays a game at Research Stadium. There's a two-for-one trade that could be made. It can logistically be done. But I think 2024 is too ambitious. I think it's messy. It's too ambitious. I think these teams will play in 2025 or 2026. I don't think it's going to be a long time. I think there's some talks going on. Rob Mullins at Oregon, Scott Barnes at Oregon State. I'm told by intermediaries that they are having conversations about this. Nothing imminent, but keep an eye on it. Moving on. Number four. Yeah, sooner better for that one. Uh, number four, Mary Lou Retton. Unfortunately, she's one of the greatest names in U.S. Olympic history. She has a very rare form of pneumonia and is fighting for her life, according to her daughter's Instagram story that she put out today. She is not able to breathe on her own. She's been in ICU for over a week now. Her daughter also added, of course, Retton, she's known as uh, one of the best Olympians ever in the women's gymnastics individual all-around gold medal, the 1984 Olympics down in L.A. Uh, she's only 55, John. Uh, some really scary stuff here, hoping she uh, somehow can pull through this. Mary Lou Retton was one of the faces 
of those Olympic Games. And her and her coach and that big smile and her coming running down the approach to the vault. And, um, you know, I, I obviously my heart sunk when you said it because I couldn't believe it. She's not that old. Uh, here's uh, hoping the best for her. Number five. Yeah, another scary story here. Uh, Browns tight end David Njoku, he just revealed uh, what he looked like in the aftermath of a serious fire pit accident oh. a little over a week ago. So two weeks ago, uh, I guess it would be a week and a half ago because the Browns had a bye week last week, but the Browns were playing Baltimore, and David Njoku appeared on the injury report with injuries suffered to his arm and face. Now, nobody really knew what it was. They found out it was a burn incident from a fire pit incident accident that he had at his house. But Njoku wore a mask that fully covered his face as he walked into the stadium. No one got a glimpse of what he looked. He somehow played in the game against Baltimore, caught six passes for 46 yards, but he posted today a selfie from his car, which presumably was shortly after the burn, and it is uh, a gruesome picture that he had that he showed of his face. But then he also shared an updated look of his face. Appears to be looking much better in that one, which is uh, very thankful. Just a very scary situation, but... Uh, the good news is Njoku, he is uh, turning this accident into a positive as he has launched a clothing line and has donated a portion of the money back to the American Burn Association. He wants to use his platform to help bring awareness to an all-too-common issue. So, uh, you know, scary thing for Njoku, but he's making it, uh, turn the negative into a positive. Sounds a good thing for him. Uh, thoughts, wishes, hopes with him, that's scary stuff. Number five. Uh, I think that was number five. Number six. All right. That was the five at five. All right. Jonathan Smith's coming up next. We got him right here. Oregon State against UCLA on Saturday. We'll talk to the Beavers coach. It'll be Oregon State, UCLA at Research Stadium on Saturday. Big platform, Fox, five o'clock kickoff. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach, here to talk about it. How you doing? Yeah, doing solid, man. You doing well? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, uh... I am. Uh, we're in the thick of this season, and I feel like I'm reading a great book, and I'm loving the games. I just want it to slow down. I want to enjoy every week, you know, because of how uh, this season is supposedly the last season. So you guys had a good one last week. I got to see it in person. It was fun to see your offense. How fun was that for you to get the offense going? Yeah, that was that was enjoyable, man. We needed it in that game, the way it was going. Uh, but we did. We executed really well. Uh, you know, passing game, complimenting the running game, DJ had obviously a great game and contributions from a bunch of guys and put up a lot of points, which we needed to, to find a way to win on the road. What does that feel like to get, like, I think you've had an offensive and a defensive lineman now catch touchdown passes this season. That's, you're getting kind of, you're, you're reaching into the playbook. Yeah, the guys, the guys like it on the team, man. I mean, Joshua Gray, old lineman catching something, and then Hodge, you know, on both sides, so well liked on both sides. That sideline was jumping when Hodge got into the end zone, and he made the most of it, man. He's figuring out a dance or two to to get on Twitter, and everyone's seeing it, so it was fun. I was trying to figure out how many touchdown receptions uh, Isaac Hodgins needs to catch Isaiah, but I think it's quite a few. Uh, you're going to have to yeah. spread you need to split him out a little bit. Get him the ball in space. Yeah, seriously, get him running down the field. Uh, <laughs> you're right on. His brother was a big-time player catching a bunch of balls. Hodge's got a well, He's contributing in different ways than, than catching touchdowns, uh, but he's got a ways to go there. Your other guy, Anthony Gold, had two huge receptions. A uh, little bit of karma. He comes on our show every week, and uh, I, you know, he's just playing with confidence. He looks really, really good out there. 
Yeah, he's getting to a good place because he's banged up a little bit, you know, missed the game early and dealt with a little bit of an ankle. And those third down catches were huge in that game. I mean, we're third and long. He's coming up with two big-time catches that extended drives that turned into points. I mean, if we don't convert there, we're punting, and that game is totally different. Jonathan Smith with us, Oregon State. Uh, you know, you're working in Aiden Childs. You've got uh, obviously DJ playing well. He looked he looked like he's got some confidence, and the numbers are there. Do you continue to use Aiden, or do you you know what, how do you feel about using him situationally still with you know the eligibility element looming in the background? Yep, yep that's all a part of the kind of thought process conversation. We we're going to take it week to week. Um, I'll credit DJ. I mean, I don't think it's gotten to him uh, in any way distracted, out of place, out of rhythm. I mean, last week comes in, Aiden, third series again, and and goes down, throws a touchdown pass, and DJ's back in there and and rolling. I do think there's value in getting Aiden Aiden some experience. And, again, that's not the only goal is to get the guy experience. We feel like he's a good player. He can do some things when he's in the game. And so, look, I I don't know for certain what it's going to look like week in and week out. Uh, we will not hesitate if we think it's best for the team to, to keep playing them and, and use the redshirt year or and don't use the redshirt year. And, right. and Aiden's a part of that conversation too, um, but I think he's feeling good about playing a little bit. So, yeah, we'll see what it looks like this Saturday and, and each Saturday after. Jonathan, the uh, the offense looked great. I've seen your defense look great at other times, and I, I kind of left the stadium in Cal thinking this, like if if this team could ever put the effort together, complete on both sides of the ball, who's beating this team? Nobody. Nobody's going to beat you guys if you guys can do that. How far away does that kind of performance feel to you? Yeah, I mean, we want to put it together, especially as you continue to play quality opponents, and we got a big-time one coming in here. And so we're going to need all three phases, uh, not to play perfect, but play at a high level, and and again, you got to find ways to win games with your defense, offense, and special teams. And so, yeah, I'm confident if we continue to improve and and can play well in all three phases, we can beat a lot of people. Um, but it's not easy to do. Uh, we got to keep working and and try to. Again, we're trying to win the game, uh, but we're going to need all three phases to do it against some of these teams we got rest left on our schedule. I've heard that a couple times. You know, not trying to play perfect is. Is there a reason why? Is it because if you try to be perfect, you're tight or you can't do it that way? I mean, you're, obviously, I, I think about that with writing in this radio show. You can never, I can never write a perfect column. There's too many combinations of words. I can never have a perfect show. It's three hours. I'm, at some point, I'm going to look back and go, I could have done that or I could have done that. What is it with football in, in, in saying, hey, you know, can't be perfect? Yeah, well, I think it's a little bit about... It, one, it's not real, realistic to think that you're going to play perfect. And then the response when something goes wrong, like what, are you going to just quit in the second quarter if you have a bad rep? Like, no, you got to keep keep playing the game. And, and they've got players, too, that are going to make plays, and so it's out of your control sometimes to be perfect. Uh, you're always aspiring. You want to have sustained excellence for 60 minutes. And part of being you know, excellent is recovering from mistake, recovering from you know, the other team making some plays and momentum swings and all of that. Uh, so that's where I go to this, this game. is not about being perfect. I think it's a good message, too. Uh, the the opposition this week, UCLA, defensively, they've looked lights out in consecutive games. What do you see on the defensive side, first of all, with UCLA? Yeah, that, uh, lights out is one way to describe it. I mean, these guys have been dominant. 
uh, rush into passer, long, athletic, uh, schematically challenge you, uh, lengthen the secondary, can run, um, stopping the run, and sacking the passer uh, left and right on the tape. And so this is a good, good defense. Uh, and again, they played the last two weeks, but really throughout the season, you look at the people who score points, that, that ain't a lot of points on there, causing how to create turnover. So um, it's a, a serious challenge uh, playing these guys. The offensive side of the ball, they got a young guy, Dante Moore, who is playing at quarterback. Um, what does he look like to you, and what do they look like in general to you on film? Yeah, he's a gifted passer. He's going to stand in there, and he doesn't get rattled. Uh, he recognizes coverage. He makes some really good throws. Schematically, obviously one of the best in the country with, with Chip calling the thing, and you always get something new, and they got the tempo part. You look at their offense, too. This thing is balanced in regards to run to pass. They can beat you both ways. The back's a physical runner, not easy to bring down. You're not going to arm tackle this guy. You need to gang tackle him. So there's a lot to, that'll challenge you on that side. I mean, they've been productive, the amount of yards, points, and they can beat you through the air or on the ground. Were you surprised that at that Washington State-UCLA game when you looked at the film? You know, I don't know. But, uh, again, Washington State's, I think, really good. I'm not surprised because you knew that defense, UCLA, could affect the passer, and they did a good job of that. Um, got a couple of turnovers. Uh, I thought the game would be close, and it was. Um, so not totally surprised because these things are competitive and you, you just don't really know week in and week out how games are going to go. I would have been, yeah, surprised that we it was 52 to 40 against Cal. I mean, that was surprising, right. but you just don't know how, how these games are going. I think UCLA, Washington State last week was the same thing. If you had have told me that Cal was going to score 40 on you guys, I would have said it was a loss. You know, and I and I because I I would have said no, there's no way I I I felt like Cal's defense would do a little better job on you, but you guys lit it up. When you get into a game like that, when it you're looking up at 92 points in a game with Justin Wilcox, that's insane. <laughs> that's an happen very often, I know. Anyway, Cal played good on offense. Now, like the brand new quarterback, yeah. we hadn't any any tape on him. He's running around making plays. Their run game, we did not do a good job handling at all. Both backs are good, odd and. Uh, Slipping on his name, 22 yeah. good runners. Uh, and we helped him out, too. I mean, we onside kick on a risky play, give him the ball at the 19. We roughed the punter, give him a free first down. They end up scoring on that thing. So uh, that's how these football games go. I uh, I have to, you know, look around the conference, and I think it's a big weekend, obviously. But I still think a one-loss team is going to get to Vegas and. Do you guys set goals as a team, or do you really stay? Can you really get guys to focus on this is the only game of the week? We have to be focused. Can you, you know, can can they stop being human and do they, you know, be a little bit robotic in thinking that way? Well, you're trying to. We talk about goals to, you know, training camp early in the season. You know, we want to aspire to having a great year and going to a championship, winning a championship. We talk about those things like in in August, but it's easy to talk about it. What's the best? process to get you to that point and then you get into a weekly routine and staying locked in and the opponent right in front of you and we don't control what takes place in november and, and those type of things all you can stay is is locked in on this saturday it's you know, who knows what it's going to look like health wise for teams who who beats who all those kind of things we control we got an opponent this saturday that we want to play well against all right uh you're not a rah-rah guy before games you've said you're not a pregame speech guy but Afterwards, in the locker room after a win, you know what? Do you talk about 
the weekend? Do you talk about the game that was just played? What kind of messaging? Like the Cal game, for example. I'm not in the locker room after the game. We see, we can hear the cheer from outside, but what kind of messaging are you immediately trying to get to your team after a game like that? Yeah, I mean, it, well, for that one like that, on the road, remind them how hard it is to win on the road. Really proud of them. Uh, point out a few guys make big-time plays, like, you know, Gould and DJ playing great. Uh, you know, we win together and just those type of things. And then, yeah, let's sing, sing the fight song. There's nothing better when the, you know, water's spraying a little bit. Guys are singing the fight song and hugs going around. On the road, locker room wins. Special stuff. All right. You, uh... You ready for this game this weekend? Um, you know, obviously you got a couple more days of preparation, but do you um, do you now focus on fine tuning stuff? Or are you focused on kind of mentality, uh, game plan? Do you have you know offensively? Are you scripted early in the game? Give us an idea in the next forty eight hours, kind of what what happens in your world. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fine tuning. So tomorrow's practice is a little bit shorter, lighter. No, we're not going to put shoulder pads pads on tomorrow. Uh, but detailing the plan, re-repping some things. We'll do all four phases of special teams tomorrow's practice. Um, a coaches uh, staff meeting tomorrow afternoon where we talk about situations in the game, things that came up across the country. You know, uh, Just so when we get in those moments, we've had some early communication on how we'd handle it, how we're going to communicate, that kind of thing. And then it's family night, Thursday night. Get out of the office and go see, go see the kids type thing. We do, we do get some work done Friday morning. Lighter again, um, but re-repping a lot of things and go through it. And then we got some meetings in the evening and, and then wake up. Saturday, 5 o'clock kicks. So we'll do a couple walkthroughs during the day, watch a little college football and hop on the bus, whatever that is, about 2, 2.30. Are you superstitious? Not totally. Not totally. How about this? So Dennis Harrison used to say when I was playing, the only superstition he had was to have good players. <laughs> so I always thought of it that way, you know. I'm, a, you know, I got a little bit r- routine and stuff, but ultimately these guys are the ones that you're going to prepare. Okay. To go out there and fly around and, and count on the players. All right, Gary, give us a, give us one thing in your routine that you kind of like to keep sacred, like one thing you do each time. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, I don't know about sacred. Your uh, but because your buddy Bruce Barnum said he eats grits on game day. He has grits and he eats, a, he drinks a Pepsi. And then he tries to say he's not superstitious, but, you know, here's Portland State's coach eating grits and drinking Pepsi every game day. That's that's a superstition, I guess. Or a routine. Yeah. Give us one, one element of your routine. Um, a routine, I think definitely a few cups of coffee before the first walkthrough. I'll eat pasta because you always got pasta at pregame mm-hmm. meals, so I'll definitely yeah. mix in a little of that. And then I have a cup of coffee when we arrive at the stadium all the time. The equipment guys hook me up. Yeah. I noticed that. Sure I'm wide awake. Wide I awake. notice. Yep. Yeah, I notice you often because I have photographers that'll shoot you guys on the walk. You often have a cup, a paper cup of coffee in your hand. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty routine for me, man. I'll I'll make sure I get a little caffeine in me. I enjoy a warm cup of coffee in my hand. Somebody needs to sell that endorsement. You need to get Dutch Bros or Starbucks or somebody to be get that endorsement with you. I mean, that's an <laughs> yeah. opportunity right there. See, that's how I think. They get, yeah, that's, that's. I don't know if they'd want me endorsing their stuff, but I definitely drink coffee. Jonathan, what does Jonathan Smith drink right before the football game? Hey, uh, one last thing: are you a are you a data guy? I mean, when I say that, I mean there's too much. Sometimes you can go too far with data. Are you more of a data guy when it comes to game planning, or are you more data's cool, but I need to feel it too, and I'm more of a I go with what I feel. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to go on both sides of it. We definitely have data, tendencies, analytics, uh, information that way to help with whatever play calling or decision making. Um, but then you get into these games, and uh, I do have a feel to it. Because some of these analytics, you go into the game, it's per, you know, predetermined, anticipated score is this. This is going to be a high-scoring game. This is going to be a low-scoring game. Well, you get into the game, and there's some adjustments taking place, and you got to you go with your gut at that point. Yeah, there has to be. I have to think, though, on, like, fourth down, you might go, hey, here's the here's what the data says. But ultimately, you're in the stadium. There's 50,000 people there. You got to make a decision that is a human decision, right? Like I'm going for it, I'm not going for it. I'm I'm hitting on 16 or I'm not. Yeah, yeah, you know, totally. You got to. Now again, this data will lead up to that decision. You kind of know, especially on the fourth down thing, or you know when you're onside kicking at the end of the game when you start with that. Uh, but there's a, there's a gut feel. The previous play tells you information right before you're making the decision. You know you're anticipating third down going a certain way. Well, it might have gone totally different. You might have taken a 10 yard sack. Um, and so there's a lot going on on that 40 second clock decision wise, communicating it for myself to the play caller, to the signaler, to the quarterback to get it to the line of scrimmage. There's a lot. All right. Good luck to you on Saturday against UCLA. Have a good cup of coffee and a good game. Yeah, I appreciate it, John. All right, you take care. There's Jonathan Smith. Get him a coffee endorsement. Where's Dutch Bros on this thing? Scott Ruick, the women's basketball coach, he's got a Dutch Bros cup in his hand or on the bench. I, you, you know that's sponsored. Somebody at Oregon State in the athletic department, get on this. Golden opportunity. Oregon State at home, where they are a favorite on Saturday, I don't want to come off like a homer, but I picked Oregon to win on the road at Washington. My official picks will go out tomorrow at johnconzano.com with the spreads. I, I think Oregon State's going to win at home against or, uh, against UCLA on Saturday. So I'll take the trend being your friend there, 27-1. and one. I just think Greaser Stadium's one of those places. But uh, Stephen and I are going to give our lean for the week coming up. I... Uh, I have some feelings about all of these games. Great week of Pac-12 football games. Leave it here. We'll give our official picks later in the week. But Stephen and I often will give our lean for the week. Uh, what is our lean? Well, we've got it right here. Uh, we've got to, we're going to go through the football games for the Pac-12 conference. And we will uh, give our picks for the week, but not officially. All right. Stanford's at Colorado, 7 o'clock on Friday. There's a Friday night game on ESPN. Be a pretty big audience there with Colorado involved. Colorado's favored by 11.5. I think it's too many points. Right now I'm leaning Stanford. How about you, Stephen? Yeah, too many points right there. Um, I don't know that Colorado's ready to be a double-digit favorite over pretty much anybody at this point still. Like, the way that they've played um, isn't that good to be to be favored by that much. It'll be interesting to see if Travis Hunter plays. John, uh, if he gets ruled in on Friday if that point spread goes higher, if he's active or if mm. he's inactive, um, yeah, if it is, you know, maybe that goes up to 14. And even that, I think, is probably too many points. I still take Stanford, even with Travis Hunter being that good. But uh, you know, I hope Travis Hunter plays. I'm excited to see how he does. But Colorado, you know, they struggled against Arizona State, but they got the win. You got to give them credit there. But I just don't think they're ready to be that big of a favorite. So uh, yeah, give me Stanford. I think Colorado wins and gets to five and two. Man, crazy season for them. But uh, I think Stanford will uh, lose by about 10 points. I think there's a chance Stanford could win this game. I think Stanford will be in it, and that's why I'll take Stanford in the points. But I think Colorado wins by, like, six. 
seven maybe. But I, I don't see a double-digit win by Colorado. Let's go on to Cal. Cal's at Utah. Noon, Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Utah's a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. Utah, we don't know if they're going to have Cam Rising or not. It's the same old, same old week. I'm really struggling with this game because I like Utah, but the way that Utah plays without Cam Rising is it's it's not like they're playing 35-31 games. They're playing 14-10, 14-7, and when you involve 13.5 points, it's an awful lot of points. Right now, I probably will lean... A little bit of Cal, maybe. I don't know. I I need an official pick. I need more. I need more info on Cam Rising. But I would lean Cal right now and take the thirteen and a half. But don't hold me to it. I could change my mind overnight. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna hold you to it. That one. I you know I'm gonna go opposite way. I think Utah gets a big win and wins by a lot in this game. And, and the reason why is this is an assumption. Maybe it's bad on me to do this, but I, I expect Fernando Mendoza to get the start. No matter who's healthy, who's back. I think the freshman gets the start. And we saw what happened last time. A freshman went into Rice Eccles Stadium. That was Dante Moore, and UCLA put up seven points. It was a pick six on the first play of the game for Utah. I liked what Mendoza did against Oregon State, but when you go up against Utah at Rice Eccles Stadium, it's a different animal. Uh, and so I expect that defense to get after the freshman, going to make some mistakes, and I, I think it's going to be a very low-scoring affair. But, you know, a 24-10 to type victory, 27-10 to type victory, I could see Utah getting. Um, I think Utah wins and covers this game because I'm expecting that Mendoza gets the start. If he doesn't, I, you know, I, I might think a little differently because Sam Jackson has seen other defenses, but you got to go with the freshman in my mind. And so I, for that, I think Utah gets the win and the cover. Oregon's at Washington, 12:30 Saturday, Pac-12 Network. Softy from KJR joined us earlier, and I think he said it well when he said Oregon's the better team in a roundabout way. Uh, look, Washington's a three to three and a half point favorite. I think that line's going to get bet down closer to kickoff, and I know why. Oregon's going to win the game outright. Oregon is going to win on the road, 27 and one home favorites in the Pac-12. I'm going against the trend. I just think Oregon's better. I've gone back and forth, I think, every single day on this, John. I think uh, Monday I started with Washington. Tuesday was Oregon. I'm kind of back at Washington again. It's just kind of weird. Bo Nix, first top ten teams, two touchdowns, nine interceptions. Now I understand a lot of that was with Auburn. Different coordinators, different everything. But he has struggled in these big-time games. I need to see Bo Nix perform well on the road in a tough environment like Seattle where those rabid fans are going to be going crazy. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., I think Washington is going to be able to score enough on the Ducks. I need to see how Oregon does offensively. I think they'll be fine. I think they're going to score a lot of points. But Bo Nix may make that mistake. Maybe it's old Bo. Maybe he hasn't turned that uh, that shoulder yet You know, of, of, of all the mistakes he made at Auburn. I'm going to take Washington. I'm going to lay the points. I think Washington gets the win. I think they win by seven. I think Washington moves up probably to a top four team in the nation, and uh, when you're looking at the college football playoff, they'll be right there. I think Oregon's going to be in this game. It's going to be a fun game, but I'm going to take Washington, John. Uh, outside of Arizona, the strong majority of their touchdowns allowed, like mm, 80% of them, came in when the game was already over. Uh, go back and look at the score against California. Go back and look at the score against Boise State, Michigan State. Garbage time touchdowns are, are padding the uh, the stats against Washington's defense. And you know what? Look, John, I'm sure a lot of teams can say that. I'm sure Oregon can say the same thing. But outside of the Arizona game, you go back and look at what this Washington defense has done. When the game is on the line, halftime, three quarters, whatever, totally different animal. 
Yeah, I, I don't buy that. I just I see a defense that is not as good as what Oregon will put on the field you, on Saturday. I think th- that's the big difference. Do you think that um, the Washington defense could really step up because it is at home? Like they, They're not a good defense, right? But they could step up for a game and get the momentum and the adrenaline from the crowd and play really well in one game and then I, I go into the schedule later. I think a game is too much. A game's too much. You can, you can, a crowd can make a difference with, it can, it can make an offense have to uh, worry about the terminology they use and the snap count. And we saw USC play at Reister Stadium last year at Oregon State, for example. And, and I asked Caleb Williams, what were we seeing? And he said because the crowd was so loud at Reister Stadium, he said they weren't able to run motion. They just had to snap the ball on first sound, so they, it took them out of some of their offense and made them easier to defend. So the crowd can help. Being a, in a hostile environment, it can help because it can force Oregon to not have some elements of its offense at its disposal. But in the end, you know, the Jimmys and the Joes are still Jimmy and Joe at the end of the play, and I just don't think Washington is as talented on the defensive side. I think that's what it comes down to. It- me. If Washington is to win this game, how many points are they going to have to score in this game? Forty. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it, I think the winner of this game is in the forties, and I think they have to be. I, I think these offenses are going to do enough. It may come down to what defense can make a play, whether it's a sack, whether it's an interception. But I think if a defense can make one big play, that could be the difference in the game. Oregon's going to be somewhere between thirty-eight and forty-two points. So can Washington get in there? I I just I don't see it. I don't I just I think Oregon would have to play a pretty bad game on the defensive side for that to happen. So, so you right. so you're kind of buying this Oregon defense as being a yeah because they're top yeah. ten. You know, the, but like, I'm, but I'm not saying they're going to hold Washington right, to right, 14 right. points. But I I think they can hold Washington to 31 and win the game. Like I think it could be a you know it could be a 35 31. It could be a 38 31 game in in that case. You know and and it in so if. If like we'll ask Dan Lanning this tomorrow, he's coming on tomorrow at four twenty. You know how good does the defense have to be against Michael Penix Jr. in order for you to win? And I, that's a fair question. Arizona's at Washington State four o'clock Saturday, Pac twelve Network. Washington State's an eight point favorite against an Arizona team that's been better. I think Washington State bounces back, but right now Arizona and eight. Can dare I take a road dog? To play close? No, I'm not going to do that. Washington State's going to cover at home. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel good about this one, actually. I, I think Washington State gets a big-time win, um, you know, double-digit type of win. Cam Ward bounces back from that UCLA game. The defenses between UCLA and Arizona just night and day. And so I think Washington State back home, going to get it. It's going to be you know chilly for Arizona, all those guys going up to Pullman. Uh, great home field advantage. I think Washington State gets the win and the cover. USC's at Notre Dame, 4.30 Saturday on Peacock and NBC. Trojans against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. USC hasn't played a ranked team. Did you know that? And they've looked bad on defense. Fun fact. Gave up 28, 41, and 41 points in their last three games. Notre Dame's a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Notre Dame's winning this game. I'll go opposite of that. I, I think USC. I feel good. I think USC wins this game. Um, I know the defense has been really bad, but I don't know that the Notre Dame offense is going to be able to take advantage of it. it it's kind of like the Oregon Washington game. I know USC is going to put up points. It doesn't matter what defense they play. Caleb Williams and that offense is going to score points. I don't trust that Notre Dame offense to score enough points. And I know the defense isn't great, but I think USC could win in a shootout. I think USC gets the win outright. 
and it's not going to change the narrative of, you know, is USC a legitimate title contender? Because I still think that defense is going to be a downfall at some point. But I do think that USC goes and gets the win this week uh, on the field. I, I, I just go back to this. Notre Dame played Ohio State in a 17-14 game. USC gets in that game with Ohio State. What's the score? I mean, USC is going to be in the 30s at minimum. So I think it's 35-31. Like, I just... I just think USC is so good offensively; they're going to be able to score against anybody. Mm. And Notre we'll Dame, man, their offense has been poor, John. I just I don't see them being able to score even you know thirty five into this game against a bad USC defense. We'll see. Maybe overnight I changed my mind. UCLA's at Oregon State. Uh, we just talked to Jonathan Smith. Five o'clock Saturday on Fox. Bruins have been really good on defense in the last two, but this is the uh, this is the wild card. UCLA is up against Reeser Stadium in this one. Not just Oregon State, Reeser Stadium. There's few places in the conference that play this tough. Home favorites, 27-1 and winning the game. Oregon State's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. They win. They cover. 27-21 is, is the score. I'm leaning Oregon State. I need to di- dive deeper in this one. The thing that scares me, John, is the way – even Jonathan Smith said this – how UCLA played against Washington State. They dominated that game. And when you go back to the Washington State-Oregon State game, that game wasn't as close as the final score indicated. So maybe UCLA is really good defensively, and they shut down DJU, and they make him force, and they force some mistakes on him. That's the one thing I worry about, but I, I'm with you right now. I lean to Oregon State and lean the cover. There it is. There you have it. Tomorrow on the show, Dan Lanning, University of Oregon. Uh, football coach, he'll be with From us. From our perspective, the way it should be is Washington should be kicking Oregon's ass every single year, but that's only for guys like me that are 50 years old and still living in the night. Softy, grab the podcast.